what's up, everybody? Dan Tom here with the Protect Your Neck podcast, uh, host of this here uh, shit show. Of course, you might have seen my analysis. Places like MMAJunkie.com or the Action Network. But on this year's program, the Protect Your Neck podcast, we break down high-level MMA, but it's in a different way. That's right. The top five shows are back. I'm, I'm hitting you with the evergreen content, whether it's here at Junkie, trying to double dip and really have these kind of crossovers. So that's right. You could probably expect of a list for the top five uh, Southpaws. But to do any kind of top five lists, I need a co-host and uh, one I respect, one I've been meeting to get on here. You know, uh, outside of maybe grabbing one of these Southpaw fighters himself, I need to have somebody who understands fighting. I go to my analyst Rolodex, and one of my favorite ones is Fenyo from the Fight Site. Of course, you could see his address there on the screen at F E N O X Sky. And of course, he is rocking the fight site. That's where you can find him. He is the man of many talents there. Video analysis, uh, behind the scenes, uh, written. And again, find him Find him on Twitter. Uh, he is Fenyo. What's up, Fenyo? Hey, what's up? Uh, very happy to be here. Uh, always been a fan of your work. And, and yeah, for those that don't know me, I'm Fenyo. I work for the fight site. I used to do a lot of video analysis. Now I'm doing like more of the podcast or written articles side. Uh, I mean, dealing with the UFC with the copyright side is kind of sketchy. So <laughs> we're taking a little break of the long videos, but they might be back. But yeah, I mean, um, I have a, a somewhat extensive background in mostly in striking, but I also grapple a little bit. I, I train MMA, so mostly no gi for me. Uh, I I began my my martial arts career uh, doing very traditional Muay Thai. So so yeah, but I'm here uh, I'm here to talk about MMA this time, and that's really the the sport that I cover the most. That I I would say I know the most about. So so very very glad to be here. That's awesome. I was actually I was actually going to ask that like. Uh, I am obviously familiar and, and can tell just by just by following your work that you know what you're talking about um, in all realms of martial arts. But yes, particularly in striking, I've obviously, you know, seen that you're active uh, in not just the martial arts community, but your martial arts community on the ground, uh, you know, uh, and, and actually, you know, hitting the gym, getting that experience. Um, and I was going to ask you about that. You know, uh, I was going to say, uh, you know, uh, save it for pod but we didn't even talk about this right and which is fine because I, I did want it to save it for pod but uh but yeah man i mean what how long uh have you had the martial arts bug because there's there's no other reason why you'd be covering this uh you know uh into this crazy uh sport as much as you are when, when did this hit you man yeah i mean i always i've always been interested in in fighting just because of of the media i grew up with like being a, a kid in the 90s, I was exposed to like, I don't know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, Power Rangers, Dragon Ball Z, all that kind of stuff. It's all about like, like all the media tells you that if you're a fighter, you're, you're cool as shit. So, <laughs> but, but I never, I never got into boxing uh, as a little kid, to be honest. So I read, I read an article once when I was like 14 about uh, K1. So, and it always was in my mind, but back then I was like, YouTube was a very new thing. It's not like now that you can find everything. So a, a few years after I started, um, around like 2006, I would say, I started looking for K1 videos and that's where I found like 
highlight videos about Krokov and Emelianenko. And that's where I found pride, and that's where I like I fell in love with MMA, especially. Like I was like, these are the best fighters in the world. This is this is the shit that I was looking for, you know? Yeah. And 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 little by little I started like getting more into it. Uh uh obviously like Fyodor Melianenko, I was the biggest fan at the time, and then sure. I got into Anderson Silva, GSP, all those. I've been watching for a while. Uh, right. I'm a lot I'm a lot older than I look. <laughs> but, so, you're you're uh, like me, but but more but yeah, more handsome. You got that same gene. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, and then uh, I started training Muay Thai because I had uh, a gym near my near where I was living when I was in college, and and that's when I was started training. Uh, it was funny because the gym started off as. Uh, it was more, more. It was Muay Thai, but you know what? When they call it Muay Thai, but it's actually more like Dutch kickboxing. <laughs> and but then the like the main, the main coach of the gym came back from Thailand, and he like uh, revamped the whole thing to be like very traditional Muay Thai. So I competed a few times uh, we in in amateur rules. Uh, I don't like them very much because you have to wear like like body pads, shoulder pads, knee pads, the whole thing. And yeah, yeah. I always I always hated that, especially like headgear. Uh, but yeah, I trained that for for uh, uh, like four years, I would say. And then I trained two years more, um, mostly MM, uh, MMA. Uh, I did not get to compete in MMA. The, the, the amateur um, scene was not very big at the time. I'm not sure if, he, if, he, if it has changed. Uh, since then, but I did not get to compete. Then I went back to my hometown. Uh, I live in a very small town uh, here in, in the north of Chile. And and yeah, and I don't like the most of the gyms around here. Like the culture is very toxic, very like a tough guy. Like, I don't know, man. I mean, I'm, obviously I take pride on being like tough myself and all that, but I, I don't like the, the community. I feel like it's very toxic. So I started. Uh, I started. I decided to, even though I'm obviously like not a, a master, like a certified coach. I started uh, coaching uh, community classes for free uh, on on parks, uh, and I got quite a few a few students, and and that's where I I continued my my martial arts journey, and I learned a lot, uh, training, cross training with everyone that I could get a, a hold of. And after that, uh, COVID hit, and I haven't been training any martial arts since wow. then, to be honest. Yeah, just just lifting weights right now. <laughs> well, yeah, man, I I know what you mean. Uh, you know, speaking on the culture thing, because that actually parlays to what we're actually going to be talking about here. Um, top five southpaws in the UFC. And the word southpaw, history of southpaw, it's a very, you know, it's different, right? Left is different, right? And we're talking about literal left, left side, or let's just say, you know, um, left-sided culture. And be like, well, are you combining politics with sports? Like, no, no, that's not what we're talking about. It actually all, it, it actually all intersects here, you know, from what you're saying from like gym cultures and whatnot, right? There can be a gym culture if you don't think or feel a certain way. Um, you know, it, it, it can be some of the most welcoming things, right? Like uh, most of my positive experiences in my life has come from 
the feelings, the training I've gotten at places like Extreme Couture, for example, the people I've met there that's led to networking opportunities. Um, the positive scale, I don't know if, you know, for, for, for a guy who, who complains as much as I do, I don't know if the negative could ever catch up to the positive as far as that goes. But at the same time, you have to understand that depending on where you are and who you are, um, it can go from a super positive experience to a non-inclusive experience, right? If, you know, you can, you can be, uh, you know, left out, bullied, uh, not welcomed or whatever. And I know that sounds like a dramatic, perhaps, place to go with this, but that parlays right into uh, being a Southpaw, for example. Um, Fenyo, I don't know what, what stance do you, uh, you prefer. Uh, I actually have something interesting to say about that. Because, yeah, please. Uh, because I'm, uh, I'm left-handed uh, in my daily life, uh, but as a left-handed person, I'm like very ambidextrous because the word forces you to do a lot of stuff with your right hand. So I'm very yes. divided in activities. Some things I do with one hand, some things I do with the other one. Uh, I play guitar, for example, as a righty, uh, but I used to play tennis as a lefty. And, ah, yeah. and I learned to box first as a, as an orthodox. So I'm, I'm like the reverse Dustin Poirier. I'm a lefty guy that mostly boxes from orthodox stance. You're also a reverse Dan Tom because uh, I am oh, yeah, a right-handed southpaw. That. Yeah, I'm a right-handed southpaw, right? But uh, I have a weird kind of – I don't know if the word I'm using is correct. Um, I should know my own, my own, my own damn language uh, here. It's a ter terrible American moment here. But the way I delineate things in my brain or I de the way I delegate duties – think is a better word delegate um although i'm right-handed uh i associate it with control you know uh like and again this is where i was getting to so just so like oh dan's getting all political and cultural no 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 like fenyo just said it the world had what did he just say he said the world has you do a lot of things with your right right and that's writing uh literally right with your right right like we're, we're really playing off the Eng the english language here but the world is really, you know, set up for that. Um, <clears throat> and this is going to correlate into boxing history, and we'll get into the top five UFC southpaws. But this is worth talking about, I, I believe. And, um, and yeah, so I, I would do things very much right-handed. But for whatever reason, um, I, I associate, like, a lot of power with the left. So when I was on a skateboard as a young kid, I was goofy-footed because I felt like I needed to control the board with my right and my pushing power with my feet. Oh, that's coming from my left, you know? Not so coincidentally, my left kick is much more stronger. Uh, you know, uh, arguably even from an orthodox stance, if I'm doing a Brandon Moreno left switch, lead switch kick, uh, comparing to my right from the same stance on a bag, I'm actually probably still going to get more reaction and pop off my lead side. That's how, that's how strong that side is. When I shoot pull, uh, I shoot pull left-handed because, again, where's my push power? My push power is my left, right? Like I'm pushing a punch, right? And where's my control? What's my guide? My guiding hand is is my right. That's where I'm drawing as an artist. That's where I'm writing. I can't write left-handed, but I want to do power things with my left. Does that kind of make sense to uh, to to at least you? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense to me. Like, um, and and actually, there's there has been a few studies that that have uh, shown that. Uh, People who lift weights or do calisthenics uh, usually develop more, a little bit more muscle on their on their non-dominant side, 
because as as it is less dextrose, uh, the the nervous paths are less efficient, so you mm. develop like more, and so it's probable that yeah, I mean, you might be less skilled with your non-dominant side, but you might be more powerful. It's it's not that that rare, I would say. Um, and as myself, uh, I like doing like all of the jabbing and left, left hooking that I feel like are more like finesse stuff with my dextro side with my with my left hand. But I feel very comfortable like throwing my right hand super hard. Like, <laughs> it, it just feels good, you know. Feels right. <laughs> yeah. No. Totally. And you know, like uh, I was reading from this article, and I don't want to go too word for word, and hopefully the. Uh, everything's tracking okay because I, I left some windows up here again bad bad podcaster bad streamer um but uh i'll give credit to the site boxingnewsonline.net had a nice little article a brief history of southpaws they talk about people like uh, michelangelo to julius caesar to napoleon bonaparte um were left-handed and how you know you think stigmas and stuff are tough of today or yesteryear or of our earlier generations or our parents generations and so forth you go back in time that you know they treat you like a witch or something if you were to use your your left hand to do certain things depending on what culture what we're talking about right um and you actually go you know to to boxing now we're gonna you know come come down to to as this rounds into how the culture affects things right cultural context is it's important here right um and uh you know the southpaw doesn't actually come from boxing it's supposed to actually come from baseball right meant uh you know south as in relation to the pitch of the field uh from what was getting thrown by the pitcher so if you had a left-handed pitcher it was kind of a different uh, geography you were looking at a different projection and uh southpaw was a term that was apparently drawn from the baseball era um and when you go to you know actual boxing you don't really have recorded southpaws um until like uh you know as early as you know uh, 1839 and then you see them sporadically right um and they weren't even called southpaws back then because uh <clears throat> basically uh, a lot of the, the the terms were they went back to writ, uh, write and classify that down that language that terminology did not really exist until we start getting until the 1900s in fact there's a, a period between the 1950s reaching back until at least you know the 18 uh, late 1880s 1890s a roughly 60, I think a 60 year period where there's only six or so Southpaw champions in boxing. So, you know, it's a different math. It's a different context. You can't go apples for apples with boxing to MMA. Again, MMA, like I always say, we're, we're closer to, uh, we're closer to obviously boxing than, 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 than sports. And, but we also have a weird pro wrestling tie in too. So not everything is apples for apples here, folks. But if you just think about the Southpaw champions and we'll talk about some here on the show here shortly, folks, in MMA, you, you really look at how really wild that progression was of martial arts and combat sports, UFC, MMA, all the like in the 90s, right? Because it takes boxing so long to even develop these terms, to develop these champions. And as this article will talk about, and, and Fenyo, I'll shoot it back to you here. You know, again, the world has you do things a certain way. And because of this, everybody was orthodox to where if you were a Southpaw, you were kind of... Um, either shown to the door in some cases, or even if you were still allowed to practice, were good enough, whatever the social context of you in that gym at the time was coming up, let's say in the early 1900s, well, most of the prize fighters that were fighting for anything, well, they were orthodox fighters getting ready for what? 
more orthodox fighters, so they weren't going to use you as sparring partners. So by hook or by crook, southpaws were really just weeded out, and they were almost they were almost gone and vacant by the 1950s. Now by the 1970s, you have much more. And again, this is where this is why cultural stuff loops back in. You have more left handwriting style classes, more uh, left handwriting and left handed curriculums going on in schools, at least here in the rest Western. Uh, Western world, uh, North America-ish, right? And these things permeate around the world. And the funny thing is, even though we're kind of coming around, I use the North American example, a lot of the initial Southpaws that start flooding in in the 1960s, um, I just looked over the list, like three of them are like from the Philippines. You got like some early Manny Pacquiao's coming in, right? You got guys from Japan, you got guys from, and, and then the rest are all from Mexico or South America. Um, and th those were the actual Southpaw champions in the 1960s. 1970s, it's opened back up again. Again, cultural, you know, over here in America, we're, we're finally getting on board with some left-handed curriculum stuff. Not so coincidentally, Fenyo in the audience, right? We've got much more Southpaws in gyms now. Southpaws coming up. You've got people that, you know, of a certain era, of the 40s and 50s era, like the guys who, for example, uh, I, I don't have their names offhand. They coached um, Hagler, you know, the, 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 that small-time team that, that, that Hagler was loyal with. Those guys that came out of the World War II traveled around, got some experience, and were a little more open-minded into Hagler having that kind of switch stance was a southpaw, but a right-handed southpaw who would switch his stance. Again, I'm not a boxing historian. I'm not going to pretend to be. Forgive me if I butchered any of that, folks. I just wanted to give a, a kind of a, a speed kind of run to where southpaw comes from, um, how long it took to get there in combat sports, at least the premier combat sports, and we'll get into MMA here, but anything you want to add to that, uh, Fenyo? Yeah, and when it comes to MMA, obviously MMA is a very new sport. Uh, so it gets, like, especially early, it got ex uh, imports from different sports. And that's where where I feel like uh, a window for Southpaws, a bigger, a bigger one than boxing, came. Because, for example, in wrestling, you have uh, wrestlers standing with their, with their dominant foot uh, mm -hmm. on, the lead, on the lead. So... And, and and wrestlers have that that dilemma when they cross over to MMA. Yeah. Like, should I should I keep a southpaw or should I change to orthodox? And and um, some guys some guys do, some guys don't. And also like from the traditional martial arts like taekwondo and, and karate, uh, very like basically mandatory to know to fight from both stances. Yeah. So if you if you see for example and uh, a little bit of spoilers, but for example, I, I would be, I would be, I wouldn't be so sure to call either like Wonder Boy or or or. Sorry about that mix up, but yeah, uh, that's exactly how I I uh, delegate uh, Pettis and uh, Wonder Boy. Uh, they both are better kickers from Southpaw, but they're actually really underrated boxers uh, from Orthodox, and we've seen that with Pettis as he crossed over into boxing. Um, if you're not another, you know, another name I, I'll burn here. That's probably not going to be on either of our lists. But um, uh, when I first interviewed Chris Curtis um, year, years ago, I think even before he did a PFL, um, I asked him like, "You're uh, it was it was after his contender series when he didn't get signed for whatever reason." I go, "Hey, you're a right-handed southpaw, huh?" And he goes, "How'd you know?" And I was like, "Let me guess, traditional martial martial arts as a kid." And then you got into uh, boxing and MMA. He's like, yeah, how did you? I'm like, 
I mean, I, I suck, but it's, it's a similar path, some same reasoning, though, same reasoning. Um, and like Fenyo said, you have to use both stances in just like your katas and your forms, right? And they also teach you um, neutral stances almost, right? You've got the yeah. horse stance, or like, I remember uh, at this place, like, it was like United Studios of Self Defense, it got like super commercial. And uh, I remember like the guy who created it was this like Boston, Massachusetts guy named Charles Matera. And like you, you put in like the VHS. This is so old school '90s. You put in the VHS, and it was all this like super Asiany appropriated like imagery, and then it's just like a bunch of like fat white guys and geese, you know. And, and the Boston guys like, all right, everybody, you gotta assume the Haas position, Haas stance. And I remember me and my friend just like looking at this video and just fucking cracking up, going Haas stance, Haas stance. Sorry, sorry, my 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 Bostonians <laughs> there, but I'm just. <laughs> Laughing at this uh, this fat Massachusetts man in front of a waterfall, assuming a, a horse position. Sorry, sidetrack aside, you had the, you had the hoss stance, right? So you had like these positions that were kind of drilled into you, and you didn't really get the fundamentals of fighting, even if you were did like you, like like I did, and I actually like competed in sport karate and stuff, right? Oh, fine, all fun and games, and it looked cool, right? You know, it was highly competitive. But, oh, we competed on it. Didn't matter. We weren't given the same fundamentals from boxing to kickboxing. So you almost had just everybody, whether it was one side or the other, adopting kind of that bladed stance because no one really knew how to fight open. You know, when someone fought open, like, oh, what do you train? Muay Thai? Ooh, that's like tiger style. That's aggressive. You were open. You were ready for offense. You know, you can throw a lot from there, but you can get hit a lot too. And it was like, well, yeah, that's because we're not learning proper fundamentals in defense. So if you even wanted to try to fight how you would kind of see much more normally today, the um, uh, kind of amalgamation of arts of kickboxing, right? You, you or at least me, I would get lit up and I'm like, okay, screw that. I'm going back to the stance I know I can fight it and that bladed wonder boy, right? And a lot of times, so if you were right-handed or right-hand dominant, um, that would be your style because we weren't training in orthodox or southpaw. Those weren't terms we worked in. And when I was in Taekwondo or when I was in Kenpo Karate, um, two different arts, right? And uh, it, it, you know, and it was usually bladed stance one way, bladed stance the other, and it was whatever side you felt more comfortable. And since most people were right-handed, they were fighting in what was a left hand, but unbeknownst to us, a left-handed stance. And then we would take that over into other arts when we would actually try to learn. Okay, let's actually try to learn this boxing stuff or. And then you face face the, even though this is the 90s or the early 2000s at this time for me, Fenyo, you're still facing these kind of almost prejudices of like, uh, you know, certain boxing coaches like, oh, crap, we got a southpaw. And it would be like, I almost didn't want to go and like raise my hand and be like, well, what, what do southpaws do? And what a lot of people probably end up doing like I do is you learn it both ways because you don't want to disrupt the class. And then if you find another southpaw, you'll go work with them so you can learn, you can actually work it in your stance or you'll kind of have to come to means with your partner because your partner will be like, oh, fuck, a southpaw. And, you know, there's that, it's that, no one likes a southpaw. Nobody likes it. And it's annoying for a southpaw because you know who hates working with southpaws the most? Other southpaws. So, you you know, and you forget trying to explain even that dynamic to them. Fuck that. You're just trying to, like, can we just work together? I'll go, here's this. I'll, I'll do stand orthodox for you so we can do the drill so you're not thrown off. And then I'll be the one that has to fucking do the fucking math. Okay, and you just stand there, you know, and then and then you get the good drill, and then I gotta look like an asshole. And if teacher comes by, like, what the fuck, you know? Well, you didn't teach me. Well, you didn't, you know. And yeah. So it, it, it's 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 why 
it's why it is. Uh, I had that long dramatic thing. It, it, it is a thing. A and speaking to the progression of southpaws and stuff, it's also why when I'm doing my southpaw reports, it's like people either it's like they either don't know how to fight southpaws or they do. But it's more of a specific, everybody has a thing they coach where they think they know how to fight a southpaw. Where they're like, just go to one side and throw your power kick and your power cross. And they're almost leaving their lead hand completely out of the equation. And all this stuff, it's like, well, no wonder why it's missing. They don't even, they don't even know how to teach it. You know, most, most gyms and, and, and striking coaches aren't even regularly teaching southpaw things. Now, this has changed a lot. Dwayne Ludwig and, you know, that whole, I, I don't even like using the term. But uh, you know, footwork, that, that term that was being used at the time, right? Like, it made everybody want to start switching stance whether the hell they knew what they were doing or not. There was a few years where you would just see people in the UFC switch stance. You're like, here comes the body or head kick, and they have nothing else from that stance, offensively or defensively. Now people are getting much better. Um, you know, we actually use the, 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 the bang system, Muay Thai, uh, at Extreme Couture. So I, I've seen and, and done these drills before where they're actually drilling you know, kind of shifts into these combinations, which was not like it, even when I was just coming up in the earlier 2000s. Forget my 90s martial arts experience, right? So I'm trying not to get too winded, long-winded here. It's, a, it's obviously a passionate subject, but this is kind of why, um, even though I just compared us to boxing, Fanyo, right? Like, we're, we're, we're progressing way faster, uh, southpaws or any other metric you want to throw. I'm not trying to be, like, overly harsh, but at the same time, you also see why growth is also tough in this field still if that makes sense yeah yeah makes makes sense for sure it, and it, it's also like you see a lot of like the the meta of mma has has been favoring shifts for so long that even if you're a pure orthodox fighter like you end up shifting a lot during the course of an mma fight i wrote a little bit about that in my daniger article uh, I wrote a, an article about Danigas' performance against um, really good uh, Nate Landwer. So, so it was like everyone was talking about like Danigas' left hook, right? And and I always, to me, the worst left hook always in my mind is like a lead left hook. But in fact, a lot of the damage that he did in that fight came from southpaw after shifting. So it was more. But he, he still threw it like a like a hook though, so I, I still call it a left hook because sure. it was not like a left overhand that some guys do when they shift. But still, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, I, in in that article, I I mentioned a little bit that uh, shifting is so prevalent in MMA because uh, well, there's a few factors, and I wanted to maybe make a longer article, but in resuming a little bit, it's. First, you have kicks and takedowns that makes the, the distance uh, longer. This is a bit of a cliche, but it's still true. Uh, but also, uh, if you take, for example, where the fights take place in the large organizations, uh, let's take uh, the UFC, Bellator, PFL, and one when they do it inside a cage, the cage are fucking huge, yeah? yeah. So, and with MMA having so much variety in often so much options, uh, when you don't have a read, what do you default to? To walk back. Because uh, walking back is a, a way of defense that obviously doesn't give you anything. Uh, it doesn't put you in any position to strike back most of the time. Unless you do a, like a like a fade back, but that's 
that includes uh, head movement under under search. Mm-hmm. But but walking back is safe most of the time because. So what do you do when the opponent is walking back and and you don't know how to pressure? You just start shifting, <laughs> like Vitor Belfort. <laughs> and yeah. and I commented about how how fighters to this day still have success with bad shifting technique just because fighters walk back so much and they don't have uh, developed footwork. Like for example, you put put on fight pass any Chaos Williams fight and the guy just shifts forwards with zero technique and he's still hitting guys because they're just walking backwards. So uh, you end up like seeing uh, open stance matchups in basically every fight in MMA, at least for a brief moment. Sure. And and that's interesting when, when it comes to talking about Southpaws, because Southpaws uh, spend most of their careers fighting in open stance. But I would say, and, and I th- I'm sure both both of us will talk about this later, but a great Southpaw is also good in the closest stance matchup. Yes. Yes, absolutely, and there's certain things that get highlighted, which I'm sure we'll talk about as well. We're obviously going to be talking about just dedicated southpaws and UFC southpaws. Um, so if you fought in the UFC, we can get cheeky with that, which we probably will on our list. At least I know I will with mine. Um, it's not to discredit any other southpaws. You know, uh, there's plenty of good southpaws that, like, uh, our mutual friend, a great analyst, Ryan Wagner, uh, it introduced me to in the Muay Thai scene, um, both from yesteryear to, you know, um, uh, more guys of, of today are still competing today, like the Sidichais and whatnot, that uh, have helped me a, a great deal. Um, but we're going to be talking about, of course, MMA, uh, UFC, uh, Southpaws, our top five. Um, we're going to finally be getting into it. I think we're about a half hour, just over a half hour here of a bit set up. But th- this is a small pull to draw from, folks. So this might not be as... as as long or as as deep of a show anyway so it was nice to have that technical banter and hopefully you guys maybe learned something from that maybe you learned you know julius caesar other people are left-handed they also say <laughs> what is it, does it say like pedophiles or something are, are probably left-handed so we'll just we'll just we'll just stop there and we'll focus on the fighters so let's go i'm gonna steal this uh i'm gonna steal this steal this format as i normally do from the film vault shout out to them they'll do like top five bad cops top five whatever but it's like film themed that's where i got the idea to do it mma wise right and we actually can, you know, stretch out in this format a bit. So it's going to be like a tennis game, so to speak. Uh, you know, uh, Fenyel, he's the guest, so he's going to start off with his number five, which you can start getting ready now, Fenyel. Um, he's going to start off with a steering wheel. You know, uh, it'll go back over to me, and we'll go back and forth. This list is probably definitely going to have some crossover, so we can maybe do a Chinese fire drill, switch up places. Uh, we'll see where we end up at the end. But for right now, starting with number five, we'll get to your guys' list, too, at the PYN Podcast okay. at Downtime MMA. Uh, we'll get to that after, but but Fenyo's going to start us off with his number five. Okay. By the way, I'm I'm going to to throw my my host here under the bus. He just he just told me he just told me top five USC Southpaws. He didn't say the best. He didn't say greatest. So, um, but I'm still trying to put very good guys here, obviously. <laughs> but but yeah. Um, but the disclaimer, I'm yes. favoring mostly strikers here because um, even though uh, being a Salpa can be part of your identity as a wrestler, I think what we most associate with Salpas here is striking mostly. Um, we're using the term that comes from the striking word, 
even though it came from baseball before that, but <laughs> but you catch my drill. So my number five uh, is ruthless Robbie Lawler. Nice. So great. Choice. So yeah, um, great why why Robbie Lawler? Um, uh, so uh, I would like to break down like things that you can learn from Robbie Lawler, and it's like. Uh, First, the style is very interesting and it works very well for a uh, for a salpa. Uh, yeah. In his prime, uh, Robbie Lawler mostly of a pressuring counter puncher, so he wants to counter, but he keeps the initiative with feints and cornering his opponent to the cage. Uh, something else that is very interesting about Robbie Lawler is that uh he he's good on the outside and he's good on the inside uh on the outside more of a traditional southpaw uh, a lot of double attacks uh with the kicks and the straight left uh all, always being very dangerous with the right hook though and uh, that's something that i always appreciate from a from a salto but then uh robbie Lawler, very clean footwork and very nuanced combination boxing on the inside and that's something that we we usually do not associate with with southpaws in MMA. Like we we mostly think of southpaws in MMA for for a guy like I don't know Luke Rockhold that fights from a very very long uh, distance and have mostly like the check hook on the inside or clinching. But Robbie Lawler uh, and if we if you gotta see Robbie Lawler's boxing in action uh, in a close stance matchup, uh, he's classified against Johnny Hendricks, the first one. When they just exchange in the pocket, uh, very cool combination boxing. Combination boxing, other thing that uh, I don't think it's usually associated with with southpaws in MMA. So yeah, uh, other than that, quality as a fighter, uh, UFC champion, very impressive win uh, against Johnny Hendricks in the rematch. Uh, a decision that I agree with, by the way. I I know some people. Scored that for Hendricks. I did not. I'm. I scored when, when Lawler was raining blows on Hendricks when Hendricks was on his legs. He won that round, and you know he won that round. So. So yeah, I mean, Robbie Lawler, great fighter. Um, I just wish he he got to his to his prime earlier and got to face more elite opposition because he was so good for that window of time. But yeah, uh, a southpaw that you can learn a ton of stuff from, and a great fighter, one of one of the best welterweights of all time. That's a great shout, man, and absolutely because that Hendricks fight that was, um, we don't always get to see it, and if we see it, they don't always do well. They don't always they don't always win, and even if they do win, we don't maybe it might not even be the prettiest, or they get the knockout, but we don't really get to see them tested. Like we really got to see the ranges fully fleshed out, you know. Johnny Hendricks, of course, was at his top of his striking game working with, uh, what was his name, Steve, uh, the, uh, the War Master, right, I believe is his name. And they had, like, Johnny Hendricks throwing, you know, uh, leg kicks and really flowing with his combos, which gave Robbie Lawler a chance to show his defense and that flowiness. You know, which, again, <clears throat> as a southpaw, you're not getting, quote-unquote, no normal looks. So, you know, doing Floyd, you know, Mayweather-esque is, you know, uh, not that, I'm trying to compare Floyd Mayweather to Robbie in that fight, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, any kind of uh, defensive, you know, shelling, uh, letting punches roll off you style, you know, 
a lot of fighters, I know I just mentioned Chris Curtis earlier in this episode, but a lot of fighters that do that are orthodox fighters because it, you know, you're, you're, um, you're asking for and creating a much more, uh, predictable, uh, line of defense there. If you're going to, you know, go for that kind of a defense as opposed to an open stance uh, type of matchup and the crazy traffic that can, and the weird traffic uh, and distances that can ensue. So I think that's a fantastic uh, shout. In fact, it is so fantastic. And maybe you can do this math and try to answer this as we go. But um, I'm glad that you caveated that this is our list. It's not greatest. It's not best, right? Because then we're just like, you know, we're all having the same list. And what fun is that? Especially the contrarians like myself. It's like, then that doesn't give us a chance to highlight like the underrated characters that don't get enough love, right? That are, you know, definitely, I'm sure, are on each of our lists to, to varying degrees here. Uh, I do agree with Fenyo. I also went with people who are primarily slash known as strikers, except for my number five, which shouldn't surprise longtime listeners. As you know, my number five, uh, it's kind of like my hipster spot, right? I kind of used to get cheeky, if you will, my, my hipster spot, however you want to classify it. And I definitely did that to here because even though when I do this for Junkie, I'm probably going to extend it to at least a top 10 or a top 12 list, right, um, for UFC Southpaws. And even though I'm going to extend it, I, I'll still probably... Um, I'll come clean. I'll admit it, but I probably won't put this person here because I'll probably get, um, I'll have a, what do you call the people, the the mob coming after me, right? With the the pitchforks, the pitchforks. People come after me with their pitchforks, right? If I, if I put this guy here. So it'll probably be between other, two other fighters. One of them is what Fenyo's number five was. So I feel that's crazy. Robbie Waller. The other is a more popular gentleman, but you guys can maybe guess him, you know, uh, guess him later. Uh, but this one, no, this one. This one is both a common one, like oh, of course, Dan Tom, but but I but I, I got some facts to back this one up, and it is, it is Jim Miller, it is Jim Miller. Oh, okay. 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 All right. Now now he is obviously it comes from a grappling, a jujitsu and wrestling base. That's how he was known when he came on the scene, but he is a dedicated southpaw. He is a southpaw. When I was going to go into the cage uh, for the first time back in 2011. I, even though this was a terrible sample size to cite, there are better citations, which I'll get to, than his fight with, uh, who was that, Kamal Shalarus. But those were one of the fights, uh, is I knew I was going against a guy, uh, I knew Marvin Eastman's son, you know, uh, came from a wrestling base, and he had a powerful right hand and a power stand, and threw a lot of power from his, from his uh, r- r- right side, so I was like, okay, what does a southpaw do against a guy throwing? Uh, against his power side, but has good wrestling. And I'm like, oh, well, Jim Miller's Kamal Shalarush just happened. Let me let me pick apart that fight. This is back in 2011, folks, and my my knowledge as well. I wouldn't know I wouldn't know a, a 10 if it kicked me in the face as far as a striker. You know what I'm saying? So you got to forgive me here. That being said, I will say, uh, you know, he, you know, uh, Robbie Lawler obviously holds more than a candle to this. I mean, he is the warlord in the uh, division just up, and he is at a warlord who actually got a title. So, you know, anybody that wants to put him over Jim, I am not arguing that in, in any second here. But Jim Miller, not just the lightweight warlord, but but again, a, a Southpaw warlord here. You know, you go back to Dwayne Ludwig, I just mentioned, right? Known for his striking at this time. Who had the fastest knockout record, both officially and unofficially, going by the thing Rogan always cites, right? That was Dwayne Ludwig. It goes on a submission victory, but what happened before that? It was a club and sub, baby. Jim Miller knocked him on his ass. Uh, Jim, you know, you know, uh, Jim Miller, you know, for example, uh, you know, <clears throat> I, uh, I, I, I don't want to burn it, and, and, and you know, I don't want to burn it uh, 
perhaps one of these fighters would have been on my uh, number five, uh, and one of them is definitely on this number five, so you guys can do the math. But, um, you know, you talk about the, we talked about the same stance matchups when you face southpaws and having, you know, having an importance of having a, a lead hand, for example. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, a guy that could easily be in, the, in this spot, you know, uh, Conor McGregor does not really have a great lead hand presence. Uh, that same guy, Conor McGregor, got lit up by, uh, by calf kicks uh, on the uh, same stance matchup by a guy. And, you know, I don't, I, and I'm just going to mention his name and then when I'm not talk about him, push on Dustin Poirier, who, you know who he cites for that technique that won, won that fight against Conor McGregor? Jim fucking Miller for giving him compartment syndrome, almost making him want to retire in a majority decision that no one gave him any credit for. It was the last booking assignment of Joe Silva, by the way. And Joe Silva knew it was a fucking tough matchup. Jim Miller, Dustin Jim Poirier. Again this, for this, me. Is, this is this is Jim. Uh, uh, you can, can you hear me? Nope. Nope. Let's see here. Okay, jump back. Back? Okay. Okay, cool. Sorry about that. But uh yeah, like uh it was uh it was it was Jim Miller hitting him hitting him with those uh with those low leg and and calf kicks, right? Uh that was uh one of uh, uh Joe Silva's last assignments and he was just like uh almost like Joe Silva knew that was a tough assignment. This is by the way, this is what this is a uh, what do you call uh, Lyme disease, Jim? Right when he's in the peak of that too, and Jim Miller still takes the fight against Dustin, and and Joe Silva goes, "Of course you are, you're Jim fucking Miller." And Dustin Poirier, not only does he light up his legs, but here's how impressive it is that Jim lit up his legs. Dustin said their game plan coming in was to light up Jim's legs, and Jim was that much of a better leg kicker. And it actually does make sense because again, not just you know. Um, throwing a left and a hook or a check hook or later on like in the Joe Lozon rematch in that stage of his career he was showing that you know speaking of Conor McGregor he could hit the inside angle counters right is he making highlights is he making the money counters no obviously not folks but technical southpaw stuff here we're checking off the whole fucking list we want to talk about leg kicks again go back to his first fight with Joe Lozon all the way back at UFC 155 John Anik's first commentary he shows something, and I've shown other guys like Yoel Romero against Adesanya, whether they do it the inside or the outside, not just calf kicks before doing calf kicks. This was Jim Miller, folks, doing this. But the debasing low ankle chops to get, get someone kind of off balance on one leg and then using that beat, getting that beat on that opposition, and then he's got a three-punch a three combo. And then that three-punch combo would go from kicking phase to flowing beautifully in combination to punching phase, which led to what? All the way back at UFC 155 in the deepest division at 155, mind you. Collar ties, motherfuckers. That's right. Up elbows. Southpaw up elbows that make you fucking cream yourself if you love some Muay Thai. Jim Miller was fucking doing that over a decade ago. I mean, shall we go through the phases? Shall we go through the limbs? Shall we? Again, guy's not a great, you know, uh, law, law, you want to throw Lawler, Connor. All those guys are accomplishments. I'm not going to argue with them. But if we're talking about southpaws and what southpaws do, who's been doing it, when, for how long, how the fuck is Jim Miller not in this conversation? So it sounds like a cheeky, oh, Dan Tom's going to use an excuse to pick his old Jim Miller. I don't know, Fenyo. Am I, am, I, am I throwing bullshit? Did I just make any of those uh, Did I just make any of those things up? Guy still knocking out people multiple through multiple He's iterations today, by the way, making people pay for, for mistakes, veteran-ass shit. I, I don't know. Shout out to Miguel Class for that uh, video highlight, by the way. Am I talking out of my ass here? No, for sure not. Uh, Jim Miller fucking rules. 
Jim Miller is the man. And and longevity, man. Like, how long can you be kicking ass in this sport? I remember, like, five years ago thinking, oh, my God, we're we're about to lose Jim Miller. Yeah. And he's, he's still here knocking people out. And, like, yeah, I mean, and surprisingly, surprisingly deep uh, striking arsenal for Jim Miller, uh, something that I... Something that gets some overlook because he's not maybe as athletic and the technique might be a, a little bit janky on his punches here mm-hmm. and there, but but execute the execution is still good at the end just because he's putting good principles to use and he's smacking people very hard. Be it on the head, on the body, to the legs. Jim Miller is a problem for everyone. Yeah, man, and uh, to just last thing on that, I guess, is just, um, you know, it's uh, those things that I cited, too, it shows that it's a, a fighter who's learning and adding to their game as the years go on, whereas a lot of fighters, whether we're talking about southpaws or not, right, Fenyo, they will find a trick, and they will just, they will live off the trick for the rest of their life. That's more. That's much more common, I believe. I don't know what you think of that, but that means more when I see a fighter actually continue to improve as an old dog, you know? Yeah, for sure. That that's so valuable. Uh, and as you said, like uh, the inside angle counters, uh, he's been doing those a lot late in his career, and it's it's very impressive stuff. And and when he fights fights an orthodox fight, I mean the guy has orthodox orthodox experience. And when he fights a a fellow southpaw, excuse me, uh, so comfortable, like. He doesn't give a shit. Like he's going to fight you. He's going to find his his strikes. Uh, great fighter. Uh, it just the the saddest part about Jim Miller is that we lost uh, some years of prime Miller because of Lyme disease. Um, just a tragedy because Jim Miller is a treasure for a sport. Absolutely. Now, who's your number four, sir? I'm curious as this list progresses. Who we got for your number four? Okay, number four is it, some one of us had had to have him, you know. Uh, so yeah, it's Conor McGregor. <laughs> I had to put oh, Conor. On, sorry, one second. Sorry, I dropped on one second. Oh yeah, it's dropping in and out. Sorry, it was going fuzzy. I can't hear you now. Can you hear me? Uh, you're dropping in and out. I think I might try to call you back here in a second. I, I okay. the timer. Let me see. Okay. You number, you number four? Number four, one of us had to, had to have him. So, let's get Let's get this out of the way, and it's fucking Conor McGregor. <laughs> never, uh, never been, never been a big Conor fan. But if we're talking about Salpas, someone had to talk about him. And to me, and it, it's a lot of annoying stuff to me with Conor because, as you said, it, it, it annoys me so much that he doesn't have a lead hand. <laughs> but, but come on, I. It's the the quality wins. It's yes, 
I, I cannot deny that this is tremendous. Even the, if the Jose Aldo, you want to call it a fluke, he still has that one under his belt, the Eddie Alvarez. And it's like, it's like, yeah. I, I never I never was a fan of Conor McGregor, but for sure after watching Conor fight, I wanted to fight Southpaw the next day at the gym. I wanted to land left hands of people. <laughs> like, sure, like no, before, that's... Before corner, I went to the gym and all I wanted to do from Salpa was like double attack, like the head kick and the left straight. And then I was like obsessed with just nailing people with the left hand from the inside angle. I was like, it felt so cool and 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 like fade back counters as well. Like all the cool shit that Conor McGregor did, it's it's undeniable. And and doing that against uh, the high level of opposition that he did, it's it's undeniable. And and also like. Like a lot of people calling his kick like fluff, but in his prime at featherweight, uh, a very effective kicker, especially the sna the snap kick uh, to the body with the with the left leg, very effective. He sapped the shit out of Chad Mendes' uh, gas tank with that one. Uh, the scissors kick, uh, keeping because it was like reverse Krokov in a sense that he was like. Kicking high just to just to hit you with the left hand. It, it wasn't the yeah. left hand to get you leaning into the left kick. It was like reverse. Uh, uh, shout out to, to shout out to Benson Henderson, another salpa here. Uh, no, because because he did something very peculiar. Uh, sorry, I'm going off topic here. No, I always appreciated how instead of uh, leg kicking to set up high kicks. He high kicked it a lot to set up low kicks. I always thought that was a very cool tactic, especially for for someone as dextrous as as he was. But back on track with McGregor, um, not much not much of a jabber, but still like the right hand still accomplished uh, its role during the combination punching. Uh, mostly just to measure and to keep the the vision busy of the guy. Even if he was throwing, uh, and he, he has landed that both on on orthodox and southpaw fighters. But yeah, uh -huh. it's the the control of distance that is the the classic the thing that we associate with southpaws, like with Machida, for example. And Connor turned that into a whole art of hitting people very hard in the face with that left hand. It was it was beautiful uh, and. And he was such a good fighter doing that for a while. What what takes him down a few spots for me it's Connor kind of bad at fighting fellow southpaws. <laughs> and also, I feel like uh, Connor at the very elite didn't fight that much variety of matchups. Although obviously it was very interesting, and he just killed him with the first shot. So we'll never know about that one. But. But he won, so you can you cannot take that away from him. Yes. Um, but yeah, Conor McGregor is the man that that made everyone want to be a southpaw. <laughs> everyone I, I, wanted to be Conor. That's huge. No, that that is big though. Like there is something to that, right? Like someone was talking about. They asked me like. Uh, I did the spinning back click for junkie, and they were like, "What? What's the better kick? Was it?" They said the spinning the Benson uh, Showtime kick or. Um, I, I forget what was this, probably one from recently. Um, I forget they asked, 
but the one from recently ended up in a finish, so I ended up with that one. Oh, God, I can't. Everything is so. It's probably something like really obvious that just happened. That was like an impressive head kick. Um, but like uh, at the Volkley one, maybe. No, no, it was after it was after that. But that's that's a good shout. Another another southpaw, by the way. Highlight. We'll we'll get to that. Oh yeah. Um, um, you know, and, and not that it, that is on my list, but it, it ties in with the point. Same with uh, the corkscrew uppercut. You know, Connor popularized that, right? A lot of guys were comboing the corkscrew uppercut and with the with the cross after that, right? A lot of guys were fighting like Connor. And back to the kicking thing, even though the Showtime kick never produced a finish, it was big because I remember, you know, that next week in amateur fight team practice, you know, start off everybody run run circles right to warm up. And fucking, there's like a wall, a padded wall, dude. At least, at least, at least, like every like five seconds, a different a different kid was like running up on the wall trying to do the kick, like during warm ups to fuck around. Like, it, it was it, you know viral, right? And this was before that word viral might have existed. It was on the cusp, right, where we weren't things could go viral back in 2010 or 2011, but we didn't really use the word. It wasn't quite the same. But that is a big marker, right? You know. Um, the I think Anderson Silva's front kick of Vitor might have gotten the number two finish when I had to rank Anderson Silva's finish for one of those you know fun, fun listicle articles or whatever. But part of my reasoning was because it, it we saw what it did you know for the you know the the, the the front kick and so forth. And I don't want to get too into that role, but these things like you're saying with Connor, you can't deny that he had that effect, right? He. You know, he was making everybody want to. Even guys that were orthodox were still trying to do their own yeah. version of like pull counters and like, you know, maybe they did the haircut too and they tied it back and like everybody was <laughs> from every right like from every angle they were trying to I I imitate that guy. We can joke about it, obviously, but that that doesn't take away that it was a, a you know a big deal, you know. And how about the left hand that he landed on the mascot? You know, that's in the, uh, <laughs> the thumbnail. That that's yeah, that's that's mainstream southpaws for you. <laughs> it's, it wasn't a left or a right that he threw at the old man in the pub, though, because that might have been his lead hand, I'm guessing, <laughs> right? I hope it wasn't his left because it might have stocked down. Stocked down in that case. Allegedly. Talking, alleged. about, talking about people wanting to be Conor McGregor and wanting, wanting to be a southpaw. Do you know that fake McGregor guy? The, <laughs> that guy that has like five pro MMA fights and has yes, like a yeah. gladiator tattoo on his chest and it's very yes. funny because in one of his fights um, when he gets the knockdown because <laughs> he, he's fighting the, the whole fight as, as a southpaw he gets the <laughs> knockdown and he just nails with right hands the guy on the floor you can tell he was an orthodox I was about to say that other fighter that middleweight guy uh, who dresses up like the Joker the Brazilian guy um, oh, uh, my, uh, yeah, what's his name? Yeah, when I watched his, like, early footage, too, before I got into UFC, I'm like, this guy thinks he's, like, Conor McGregor over here because he actually is a southpaw, but he would, like, he would, he would imitate Anderson Silva. Like, he would try to do the Anderson Silva up elbow, and he got knocked out for it by, like, Ma probably by Dracus or something. Ferris? Yes, Marcus Perez, yeah. He just does imitations of other fighters. That's his fight style is, like, whoever he can imitate <laughs> on whatever phase he has to fight from. And, like, he just, like, he had, like, the whole haircut and, like, the whole, like, it was, like, a Brazil regional show. And, like, he was, like, imitating Conor. Like, there's so many guys that just do Conor McGregor cosplay on their regional scene. It's fucking hilarious. Yeah. And these are actual licensed fights. It's great. <laughs> it's it's uh, a very good subgenre of fighter in the regional scenes. 
Yeah, let's just hope people, uh, they stop the imitations there, right? I don't want to get into the uh, alleged McRaper talk here, but let's just let's just keep the imitations to... <laughs> Inside the cage, stuff, folks, okay? Yeah. Do not imitate anything else this guy is doing. Please. Please. For the sake of... Women you you do not people. have the money to imitate this guy. <laughs> <laughs> For the sake of women and elder, the women and the elderly, stop imitating this man. Uh, all right, so, but he is he deserves a spot. Obviously, that's who I was talking about. Who I'll probably have, you know, between him and Robbie. Um, you know, if I'm if I'm if I'm if I'm doing this list, trying to do it, you know, kind of respectably. Um, oh, here and no here, negative. Let me see. Okay, you're back. Okay, I'm back. Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I, I think I'm good for the recording, as long as it doesn't uh, do it to you okay. while you're talking. Because uh, for me, my recording's still going good here. So okay, that, that's, that's yeah. going good. But uh, if if it's bad, obviously, like give me a sign or let me know. So then, if I have to repeat something to you, uh, or if yeah. it's really bad, we'll 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 restart. But I'm leaving this in, folks. You guys are peeking behind the curtains because what is being recorded <laughs> sounds like it's it, it's decent quality. So hopefully, it is at least for what passes for decent quality here, folks. I'm still uh. Got to get a new router and probably a new laptop, to be honest. But uh, thank you guys for joining us. This is a good combo here. Um, yeah, obviously, Connor, more than deserving. We're going to have crossover here, though, because your number four links to my number four. Obviously, Connor would be on my list probably for Jim, if I was being real, uh, even though I did make a good case for Jim. But uh, in between talking about Jim or Connor, you can't not talk about their common opponent or their, the linking opponent because they never fought each other is Dustin Poirier. I know he is on Fanyo's list. Uh, <laughs> Fanyo, uh, you can make the choice to um, either divulge where it is on your list and you can join in uh, with me right now yeah, on the Dustin um, Poirier talk. I'm going to spoil uh, Dustin was my number two, but let's talk about him right now. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll use a volleyball analogy. Um, I'm going to serve it up and then you can spike it down, okay? So Dustin Poirier is, I mean, I actually don't know if he is. I never talked to him, but I'm going to guess that he is a, a, a right-handed southpaw. I'm going to let Fenyo He is. Uh, I'm pretty sure I've, I've heard that. that. Um, and, yeah, and uh, that one didn't come through, but uh, I'm going to wait, and I think, it'll, I, think it, I think it will, but you can hear me, so it's good. But Fenyo nodded his head yeah. there. Um, he obviously, you know, he see him. I love that he wore the Marvin Hangler hat of more recent years because – he always reminded me, I'm sure many people, of that dynamic, a southpaw, right-handed southpaw that can switch. Um, obviously, you know, when he's corralling, being aggressive, uh, he had that fire. Uh, a lot of parallels there you can draw. You don't have to be a boxing historian, hopefully, to know who Marvin Hagler was. Um, and the reason why I like Dustin Poirier a lot is because I like Marvin Hagler. I'm going to get ready to give it over to Feno here in a second. But um, they had this game, Feno, on Super Nintendo in, like, 92 called Legends of the Ring. You need to be like Hearns, Lamada, Hagler, right? And like, I don't, this is like, this is not like my dad. Uh, even though it was weird because we did watch like the Tyson fights of the era, like back then, I, I, as my childhood memories, right? Like, um, even like Julio Cesar Chavez, like, those are some of my early memories of those fights, early 90s. Um, so maybe it wasn't crazy, but he brought back like the video game and a signed poster. Like, they, were at the, they had the fighters at the MGM or something. And I had, like, all their signatures on this Legends of the Ring boxing poster. And my favorite guys were Jake LaMotta and mainly... And I didn't even watch Raging Bull at the time, so it wasn't like, De Niro, yeah! <laughs> uh, but I just liked playing with Jake LaMotta. And Marvin Hagler was my favorite, though. I loved Hagler. 
And as I got to learn more about boxing, I didn't know who the hell Hagler was when I was playing the game, right? Like, I knew Tyson. I knew Julio Cesar Chavez. I knew... I would later know De La Hoya. I would know boxers of that era. I didn't know the past yet, right? And I really loved Hagler. And that young Dan Tom ends up being a, a right-handed southpaw himself, right? Uh, so to see a guy like Poirier in there doing his thing, and I'm going to throw it over to Fenyo to talk more about him. Um, I don't know how you don't have him anywhere on this list. He's got to be somewhere, right? Like We could argue about his placing, but he definitely deserves to be on the list. Uh, I definitely could see why you had him as high on your number two. Why don't you talk to us, Fenyo, and why uh, more about Dustin Poirier's style and why he qualifies for your number two? Um, yeah, to me, uh, it's it comes to two things. Uh, one is I love Dustin Poirier's style. Uh, Sorry, I'm going to pause I think that. It's... 549. Second. And sorry about that, folks. Gonna be a little choppy, but uh, yeah, that that was kind of my my spike up and uh, spike down. Fenyo, what uh, what what is it that earned Poirier so high on your list for number two for his style? Uh, to me, it's like I love his style. Uh, I love the especially the because despite being a salpa, very ambidextrous uh, a puncher. One of the more fluid combination punchers in the whole sport. Uh, sometimes uh, can lose positioning a little bit in the in the pocket, but he can be bailed out because he has so many options because he's so good with both hands and he can use them in so many different ways. Uh, you can see that in his uh, fight against Max Holloway, uh, my favorite fight of all time, to be honest. And it was like I was very scared because. Holloway was taking the angles inside the pocket, but Dustin just can just can crack you with uh, with that right hook uh, from places that you're not expecting. He can come up with the left hand. Uh, he has so much variety with the left hand. Uh, you can throw a, a tight hook. He can throw it overhand, straight, and they all look like very good, uh, very sneaky uh, left left straight by Poirier. Uh, one detail that uh, Ryan uh, mentioned to me is that he throws with the uh, with his fist perpendicular to the floor, and that allows him to to disguise the the, the motion of his shoulder. That's why he surprises so many people with the naked like left straight. It's not as powerful, for example, as when Connor gets full extension, but he gets that very sneaky, and he has the follow-ups, and that's something that. A lot of other salpas do not have something that maybe he has a, a little bit in common with Robbie Lawler, and they were training a lot together uh, during a certain time. Yeah, I remember that post-fight interview when when Dustin Poirier said, "When I grow up, I want to be Robbie Lawler," <laughs> and also, uh, like, yeah. And other than that, it's the the quality of the wins and the variety of styles that Dustin Poirier has best on the feet it's incredible like Eddie Alvarez like a uh, very scrappy outfighter very resourceful uh, tireless Dustin Poirier knocked him out uh, Justin Cagey when he was crazy on the pressure uh, Dustin Poirier knocked him out <laughs> Conor yep. McGregor we talk about in length about him Dustin Poirier knocked him out uh, so it's it's not only the names it's also the the, what I what I said about Connor that Connor didn't face as much variety of matchups, Dustin faced all of them, and 
he came on top most of the time uh, with the during his with what I would call right before his prime the loss against Michael Johnson a very curious one because I felt like after that Dustin got very good at fighting fellow Southpaws if you saw a fight against Jim Miller uh, Jim Miller looked very good in that fight by the way and as you said like <laughs> fuck Dustin up uh, the Dustin's leg up with the calf kicks but in round two he had Jim Miller against the cage and he was unloading um, yeah. or in that the fight against against Connor um, I was always sad because Dustin didn't get to fight Nate Diaz because I felt like Dustin would, <laughs> would have mopped the floor with for Nate but <laughs> uh, Nate Diaz a very good southpaw in his own right like both his fight against McGregor should be should be testament for that, and also the Mike Johnson. But back to Poirier, yeah. is the is that uh, despite his flaws, because he has like very marked flaws, uh, he sometimes lose track or where he is relative to the cage. He can be out position inside the pocket. Despite that, he has the flexibility to make his style work against so so many different guys, and also like the the defense. Even though the defense is kind of yanky because uh, the high elbow shell that Dustin uses is not very conductive to counters except for the straight left, but he uses to defend that very well and get inside. Uh, also, Dustin pretty solid about defending kicks, despite him not being like a big kicker. I mean, Dustin kicks very hard, but he has like a fucked up hip, yeah. and he he throws very funky kicks. <laughs> let's say, let's yeah. put it like that. Yeah. But uh, he kicks hard. <laughs> uh, you could you could ask McGregor or Dan Hooker about that, but but yeah, the defense. He's very good at sweeping kicks and coming up with uh, with the counters uh, against Justin Gaethje. He was he was getting his lead leg shoot up, but then he got the timing and he was timing those straight left as the counter, um, the punch that initiated the end of the fight for Gaethje. Very pleasing style. Um, combined with uh, with the quality, like like a, a fight that that after after looking very very similar to Oliveira, like looking like he was not going to accomplish his his potential, because uh, maybe newer fans don't know, but Dustin Poirier when he was coming up in 145, it was a huge prospect. Like yeah, you everyone was talking about how he was one of the most talented guys in the sport and all of that. That's why the UFC put him in that main event against Korean Zombie. I think the UFC wanted Dustin to win that fight. And then he had all of that, like people saying he was going to, he, he chokes on big fights and and that and Salpo himself knocked him out. It's poetry to me. <laughs> Yeah, man. I mean, it's, you know, we talked about warlords. I mean, Dustin is that warlord, you know, and he's got a title, you know, uh, interim, however you want to call it. He, he actually has a piece of gold, you know, for his efforts and was able to overcome a lot. <clears throat> and it's impossible to make the parallel to like the 1980s middleweight division under the early 1980s, right? The Four Kings. But if you were like someone put a gun to your head and it's like Four Kings, it's like, man, you almost got to pick this era and... and Dustin Poirier has got to be one of those fighters, right? With Gaethje, Oliveira, you know, like you know, I know we had that that fight site panel where it was that it was, uh, and who was the other who was the other fighter? I forget. Uh, it might have been Chandler, but again, you could you know, 
McGregor, Alvarez, depending how how we're looking at things and how we're hypothetically stringing things together. However you want to do it, again, Dustin Poirier's got to be on that on that list, right? He's got to be on that parallel. I like the details and the punch. Uh, it almost reminded me of like what we called in Kempo, like a thrust punch, uh, with the uh, keeping the fist perpendicular to the floor. That's a great detail. And just honestly, a lot of the most effective, and not just effective, but powerful, shockingly powerful, like get feedback from sparring partners going, wow, you rocked me with that left hand. It was usually punches off that left. Um, let me see here. I think I'm going to go to my number three, but I'm going to see if uh, Fenyo's still hearing me. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. No, I'm okay, hearing cool. you just fine. Cool, cool. Okay. So that's a great one. I'm going to go to my number three here. Um, again... You guys can go blasphemy again. This is just my list, and I'll have good reasons for this. Like, why? how do you have this guy over Poirier? Maybe it makes sense. I don't know. It depends on what genre of fan. But um, I knew mixed martial arts from the 90s, and I would see it, but it was more like of a, a sideshow, right? I didn't become a fan until, like, 2006, right? Like, like where I actually am following the sport, right? I was a tough noob, right? So it's, like, not until after 2005, 2006, do I start understanding? But around 2005 and 2006, I had a, I had a, I had a lot of friends in bands, and, and I, I had a friend. Uh, shout out to my buddy Raúl Moreno, who was from Chile as well. Um, my bass player, mm -hmm. uh, my buddy Steve Cruz, um, was a white guy. I don't know why it's Cruz. It was a weird last name spelling. But he would always wear a crow cop, Mirko crow cop. That's <laughs> right. My number three, a Destiny Await shirt, because he was a big Pride fan, right? And I was, you know, of course, I would make very, you know, this is a younger Dan, Tom, different age. Of course, I'm, I'm saying very, you know, homophobic things probably to him, you know, uh, just to try to tease him, right? Like, 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 like a friend that's in pro wrestling, you're, you're image. And uh, sorry about that, folks. This is going to be a chopped together episode. But, um, yeah, Crow Cop basically, you know, he had that highlight reel and whatnot. But if you go and, and look at it, you know, it wasn't just like the head kicks. It was, you know, the setups for it, going to the body. Um, you saw, you know, very basic but double attack, uh, attack dynamics, right? Um, kicks, counterbalancing punches, punches, uh, drawing out threats to, uh, in defenses so kicks can come through, vice versa. You saw that with his, even his counterpunching was really underrated, you know. Um, somebody posted a highlight the other day. You see him, you know, doing the lead hand kind of uppercuts. Uh, of course, there's the notable Bob Sapp when Bob Sapp was giant, you know, where he broke his orbital bone with just the left hand you know he was the head kick guy and he he had bob sap like uh, you know i know bob that didn't that that looked a lot cooler back then people were like why are you bragging about a bob sap highlight that's what he does every fight like no no back this was this was before he had that that reputation this was not long um around the time when he had pile drive minotaro noguera into the mats folks like this is uh this is that bob sap um and, uh, uh, Bob Sapp already had the, the wins against Ernesto Hust at, at, yes, at least at the time, first yes. one, I think. Yes, he did. Yeah. He already had a, at least one win against Ernesto Hust at the time, which was huge, obviously. And, um, yeah, and, and, and Crow Cop, you know, obviously he came over to the UFC and his most of his highlights were in pride. They didn't do well in the UFC, so you can maybe mark me down for squeezing him in on this list. But at the same time, he was a really influential southpaw. When you think about that southpaw kick, I mean, you know, he's got to be in your top three regardless, right, for, like, devastating southpaw kickers in, you know, MMA history, right, just for his, his highlight reel alone. Um, and, 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 you know, say what you will about, you know, uh, 
the stuff that everybody takes, but just the fact that he was able to get his legs that high and still have his kicking acumen late into his career, I know it would be much more sparse and almost vacant for long portions of his advanced career. But you would still see him on the bag. You would still see him let it go to the body every once in a while, and you'd see it light up his opponent's faces. And he used a lot of his footwork and his boxing savvy, which was really underrated, and that's actually how he was surviving um, a lot of his later career. So I know it's kind of a typical choice. I don't know, but I just he's, he's just one of those guys for for my era of fandom and people who share my era of a fandom. I feel like he's got to be on the list. Any thoughts on that one, Fenyo? Yeah, the only reason I didn't put Krokop is because uh, his UFC run was pretty awful. <laughs> yeah. But but yeah, I mean Krokop. Uh, one uh, as I said uh, earlier, uh, one of the of the fighters that got me into into combat sports. Uh, the highlights, just the highlights, makes make you a fan of a fan of combat sports because it's. It's incredible what he was doing, like the, I mean the, right kicks, right kick hospital, left kick cemetery. It's, it's a legend for for a reason, man. And, and that that straight left, it's very underrated. He hits yeah. so hard with that left hand as well, and some body kick knockouts. I mean he, he has from the left side, he has he has it all, like, Krokop was so so cool. Uh, very clean footwork. Uh, used the used the the open stance matchup against wrestlers. Very his favor to maintain a long distance to take angles, especially uh, pivoting to his to his right side uh, to sh- uh, shut down takedowns. That was pretty cool and yeah. kind of revolutionary at the time because right. uh, obviously Krokop insanely athletic very strong everyone comments about how strong the guy is but but doesn't matter how strong if you cannot wrestle you're going down to the mat and and Krokov made a lot of anti-wrestling that uh, my my body and, and my boss ed gallo uh, owner of the fight side he always talks about the difference about uh, between anti-wrestling and defensive wrestling and yeah, I mean, Krokop yes. have some defensive wrestling shots, but most of the work was done in the anti-wrestling department. And that means that he was denying the takedowns with his good positioning, with his strike selection, all very, all very cool stuff. Like, Krokop, if you want to learn the, basic of, the basics of Salpa, you need mm-hmm. to watch tape on Krokop. It's one of those that you cannot miss. So Absolutely. good on his prime. And, and extra points for being a heavyweight, that's good, because we have less <laughs> and less of those nowadays. Uh, heavyweight southpaws especially, like I remember interviewing Walt Harris back in the day and trying to like be like, do you like watch other like boxers? And t- t- like tell me you watch other people from striking combat arts. Like, I'm like, you realize that like being a southpaw in your weight division is super rare, right? Like that's a really big advantage. and. You know, it was, you know, I know it didn't pan out as great as we all wanted it for, for Walt Harris, you know, as far as how his career went. But it's just to your point, at heavyweight, it's it's so rare. Even when you do have a southpaw who's an athlete, that, that's not a guarantee, right? Not trying to S on Harris or anything, but to the point, you know. Um, and Crow Cop had those things, man. Oh, did we uh, did we lose or are we good still? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, let's go to your number three, sir. What do you have for your number three? Uh, my number three... We talk about Connor, we talk about Dustin, and we gotta talk about the other 
Southpaw lightweight uh, Rafael Dos Anjos. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I, I mean, obviously, if if we if we're going to talk about one thing about Dos Anjos in his prime, we need to talk about his pressure. Um, very proactive pressure uh, in contrast to Robbie Lawler and Connor that were mostly counter punchers. Dos Anjos was aggressive and proactive. He was looking to put your back against the fence and unload. Um, cool stuff against uh, about Dos Anjos. Uh, the pressure in footwork, great. He was always putting you against the fence. Very athletic. Uh, had a mid-career transformation because he was not this like super explosive athletic guy. Uh, I, I'm guessing he was not taking the strength and conditioning as seriously be earlier in his career when he was a jiu-jitsu guy. And then he came back ripped as fuck. Yeah. He was a monster. He was a fucking monster. That that knockout over Benson Henderson, he announced himself in the division. Then that fight against Anthony Pettis, amazing. Uh, one of the, an all-time great performance, really. Absolutely. And, and I think underrated because Pettis in that fight, in that fight looked great himself. Like yeah. that Anthony Pettis was a problem for most guys in the world and Dos Anjos basically won every round against him. Uh, Pettis came into that fight very well conditioned uh, despite the pace that Dos Anjos was putting on him. Uh, Pettis still was trying to to make volume happen. Uh, he he actually had his better rounds in three and four despite yeah, round kicking. four. Yeah, yeah, round four. He had some nice counter right hands from Orthodox. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> A switch hitter. But yeah, I mean, Dos Anjos, what to look out for? Uh, very, very cool uh, using the jab. Not, not a very layered jab, but he was like pushing you back with the jab, uh, drawing the counter. He was good at weaving and coming back with the right hook. Uh, right hook, immediately the straight left behind it, and another right hook, the 3-2-3, three, the three, three, a classic for Dos Anjos. The body kicks, man. The body kicks oh, so yeah. hard. Uh, beautiful stuff. Uh, the jumping knees. Uh, actually, with setups for the jumping knees. Mm -hmm. uh, if you put him in the close stance matchups, the leg kicks against Nate Diaz, those were brutal as well. Uh, and old school leg kicks because to the thigh, no, uh, not to the calf, as they are in vogue right now. Yeah, I, I love, I love leg kicks to the thigh. To be honest. Uh, Grew up with those in combat sports, so absolutely, they, yeah. they have a place in my heart. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, the footwork, the pressure, and uh, the the shot selection, and and the defense was pretty decent. Like he had the defense to stay on your face for twenty five minutes, and and make it hell for you. So yeah, I mean, the Sanchez, and also like he used the that pressure to link to his wrestling as well. Um. Not a particularly southpaw wrestler. I mean, obviously he shoots from the southpaw stance, but he didn't use a lot of tricks, like grabbing single legs of that kind of stuff. He's more right, yeah. more of a power double guy in his prime, sure. but but still like. But yeah, Dos uh, Anjos so good in his prime. Uh, another fighter that if you want to learn pressure and southpaw, Dos Anjos is like the guy to watch, like so many so many right stuff like making aggression but but making it technical and, and making it effective 
A absolutely, man. I mean, he more than deserving of being in your number three spot. Anybody's number five spot. Um, you know, he's probably going to be end up being on like six or seven when I end up doing that list, but not because of anything. You know, again, he, when you want to talk about uh, southpaw pressure fighters, he is he is the guy. Uh, where he first came onto the list with me actually was a leg kick performance against Rob Emerson. That's where I first remember oh, him. Cool. Um, as far as that that one, because Rob Emerson came off of uh, Tough Six, the BJ's one. BJ and uh, Pulver, and he was more known as like the OC kickboxing guy. You still see him in the corners and like MMA lab corners and stuff uh, with John Crouch, um, but that was like what he was known as. And then you got this Brazilian Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy comes in RDA, and it was just an in and it wasn't even an outside; it was an inside to the thigh, which you're a fan of, uh, Fenyo. And it was just a big inside leg kick performance. It was actually one of the underrated leg kick early leg kick performances. Um, not like Marco Huas, but I think this happened probably before Barbosa came in and, and, and you know messed up Lulo. Of course, Dos Anjos didn't get a stoppage from it. But if you watch that fight, it was just he just brutalizes Rob Emerson's leg, um, and then you just see him build on from that. Of course, brutalizing Soroni's body. Uh, when I yeah. would write about him, he was a short fighter always for his divisions. So I would I would write I would write the term bombing from below because he he didn't he it was it was okay he knew how to use his stature properly to follow punches behind and come over the top from behind them from a low stature it was just he knew how to fight to his style and he made it work so it's a great shout Fenya. All right, uh, number two you already gave your number two is Dustin Poirier yeah so I'm gonna give my number two and. Uh, you know, my list, uh, I was going to say, my list, your list looks good. It's Lawler, Connor, RDA, Dustin. It's like a respectable list. My list is looking like it was compiled in a Buffalo Wild Wings in 2008. <laughs> because my number two is Anderson Silva. I know, I'm really I'm really going outside the box here, folks. Wow, I'm really, I'm really reaching for names. Um, of course, I had to go with Anderson freaking Silva. Again, if it's my top five, if it's what influenced me, and this guy didn't just influence me, right? He influenced generations. We talk about Connor's influence yeah. is undeniable. And Anderson is another guy, man. Whether it was the up elbow from Fricklin from the Cage Rage days. Not Cage Warriors, folks. Cage Rage, right? The bringing back the front kick, right? Which sparked like three front kicks that year. Leota to Couture. Um, Steve Lopez, uh, ex-UFC fighter who Jim Miller beat, by the way. Um, gets a front kick KO by Justin Buckles at a superior cage combat show. That uh, my buddy Jimmy Jones fought Sergio Pettis. A lot of, a lot of like weird crossover regional show. I'm I'm citing here, but it starts to spark uh, across the whole landscape. This guy with that stuff, um, you know, he had traditional martial arts and Taekwondo backgrounds too, but also also Muay Thai. You know, and I know it's not a southpaw thing, the double collar tie, clinch, but you know he, he, he the way this guy kind of innovated. You know, you guys don't need to hear me wax on and on and on about it but uh but yeah man you know he was just he was a really good southpaw when he went against other southpaws um he even came to life more you know i know yushin okami isn't a great example but i remember that yushin okami fight you know he's got another southpaw and he's splitting jabs yushin tries to jab so anderson jabs with him and he splits jabs at the same time um so you know whether it was his lead hand even with adesanya you know when adesanya went southpaw uh anderson gave him the hardest fits in that fight when he would start jabbing him off his lead hand because you want to go southpaw with another southpaw it's dangerous a and even if you are an actual southpaw going with the southpaw switch stance or not you better have your lead hand work or know how to deal with a lead hand uh and anderson would test you if you tried to go southpaw with him he would test that lead hand um i don't know man so i don't have to defend this one to qualify this one too much but anderson's my number two fenyo can you still hear me do you got anything to add yeah 
Yeah, I'm here. Uh, I really wanted you to have Anderson on your top five okay. because I wanted to talk about him, and he didn't yeah. make the cut on my list. But yeah. Uh, yeah, Anderson was my favorite fighter for so long, and and yeah, it's so influential to the development of the sport. Um, a lot of people say that Anderson very under uh, overrated, uh, but I do not completely agree with that. I think. Anderson very important to the development of the striking in MMA uh, because he was he was bringing so much good stuff for instead of just the basics especially the boxing fundamentals uh, actually a guy that knew how to move his head and had good mechanics for moving his head uh, inside the pocket uh, for example the the classic sequence of him making a fool out, out of uh, Forrest Griffin. Uh, that's not actually Anderson reacting that much. It's just that he has this flow shirt for for where to move his head from one place to the other, and he knows how to do that against a southpaw or against an orthodox. That's that's very impressive. Um, Song the playful stuff with the kicks also was very cool. Obviously, the front kick to the face of Peter, one of the best knockouts of all time, one that shaped the. <laughs> the UFC events for the years to come, everyone trying to catch another guy with a random front kick to the face, mostly failing, but yeah, but yeah I mean, yeah, the boxing from Anderson, uh, especially the defense, uh, the power, uh, something that not very related to what we're talking about, but the ground and pound by Anderson Silva, I always yes. thought so brilliant. Yeah. He just killed guys with precision, with with calmness, it's incredible. One of the best of all time in that sense. And and yeah, I mean, uh, not also, not all, not only the defense when it comes to boxing with the head movement, but actually the like very clean footwork. Uh, and Nick Diaz actually tried to pressure him in, in his fight, uh, and Nick was making a better job than in than than in most of his fights to pressure. He was right. trying to cut the, dia the diagonal ankle angles and Anderson, but Anderson very disciplined, using the leg kicks, circling out, pivoting when Nick was getting close, using the collar ties and and grabbing an angle. So, so yeah, I mean the the technique on the clinch as well, kick defense. Uh, Anderson uh, late in his career was got very vulnerable to kicks, mostly because he was a very old guy, and when you roll. I, I don't know because I, I'm not 50 years old, but, but I feel like when, when you're 50, it sucks to be to be to be getting kicked. It just looks awful. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, like like, do you want to be kicked by Uriah Hall and Canyonier when you're old? I I don't think so, man. But I mean, uh, but we saw against Adesanya like Anderson uh, with this like high guard ready like to parry kicks and it worked it yeah. was like um very good positioning and another thing not very related to the southpaw but if you the, the those old instructionals of anderson silva the ones about the clinch oh, are yeah. very good they, they hold up very well to this day he talks about a lot of not only double color ties but a lot of clutching positions uh uh, head and arm positions in the clinch. Uh, talks a lot about bicep control, tricep control. It's it's very cool stuff. 
Uh, shout out to Feyao that it's with him in those videos. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Nice, that's a great shout, absolutely. Nice, nice. No, the, 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 all great things. I think I don't think anybody's going to push back too much on this one, and you have a great, strong list. Um, but I am curious then, who, who is your number one then, Fenyo? Drum roll. What uh, is your number one UFC Southpaw? Who did you go with? My one, my one, my number one is a bit surprising, and it's a guy that is at the top at this exact moment. My number one, and is Leon Edwards. Wow. And why is it? Why is it Leon Edwards? Okay. Um, to me, it's well. Number one, it's very technical guy, very versatile, um, maybe a bit inactive. Uh, we we all. Will would like uh, Leon to do more than he does in fights. A very safe fighter, but what what I like about Leon is the how he controls fights and takes them where he wants to. How he can strike at distance with no problem. Uh, very very functional boxer on the inside. Uh, combination puncher. He can punch with both hands. Uh, entries to the clinch. Very good elbows. The footwork is very clean. But to me, what pushed Leon to this number one, because I want to highlight how difficult it is for him to go for the first Usman fight to the basically a fluke win on the second one to actually overcoming the, the weakness of his style on the third fight to get a clean, a clean victory. I think that's a, an all-timer performance by Leon Edwards. And I... And I admire that so much because he he did not change who he was as a fighter. He just make like the key adjustments to make his style work against a very complicated matchup in Kamaru Usman. Kamaru Usman, one of the best fighters of all time. So I got to rate that wing very highly. Nice. No, absolutely. I didn't go back to rewatch it. And I think if I did, I was having this thought that I know it's going to um, reinforce Leon Edwards for me. That being said, Leon Edwards is a guy that, even though he didn't make my list, I hold very high. Um, for the reasons that Fenyo said, but Leon Edwards also represents something that I've been meaning to talk about with a lot of my selections, which is, unless you're like a RDA, Jim Miller, or Poirier, where you have pressure, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, a grappling base, and like other things to kind of go to, other valves for the fight to kind of release pressure. Um, I noticed that even with the best southpaws, right, Mirko Krokop had stinkers, Anderson Silva had stinkers, my number one we'll get to had stinkers, right? Your number one, Leon Edwards, has had stinkers, right? Yeah. And in, de in defense of these guys, though, it, the thing is, is the ironic part is that I don't think people understand, I know you, you, I'm preaching to the choir to you, Fenyo, and many others listening, is that a key to a good southpaw, unfortunately, is some of the best ones if you're actually a really good southpaw, is you are going to stymie and make a lot of fighters uncomfortable. Back to something that we said, most gyms, most coaches, most trainers don't know how to train people to fight southpaws. So if you have fighters who are not just, they don't have a, a hard pressure and hard grappling game that's part of their game, so that some of these other southpaws that are on their list, they're more counter-striking southpaws, well then you're going to have a recipe for some real... Uh, fights that are going to piss off casuals are going to piss off the Dana Whites of the world but those of us that kind of know what we're watching we understand like no he, he stymied it's like a it's, 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 a, it's a strategy game he, he stymied them and that happens a lot of times with southpaws um, especially if they have a good checking lead hand Anderson had a good checking lead hand 
Um, Leon Edwards, not so much the checking lead hand, even though it is educated. He's got really good accuracy. He can kind of, uh, if someone's punching straight, he can go, you know, he can circle beats a line. He can line beats a circle. Like, he understands these principles. Um, he flows into collar tie offense really naturally. You could say that's because there's perhaps, you know, some suspect things at boxing range. But again, he has that virtuoso performance against Usman where he really ties so much together from the southpaw theme. Um, and he's just a really technical guy, a really good eye for range. I mean, the double attacks that he was piecing Bilal up with was just like, it's almost like he, uh, he read my analysis, which isn't like giving me a pat on the back, folks. This is literally go look at any time Bilal has been knocked out, seriously rocked. They are all left-sided strikes. They are left hooks, left crosses, and left kicks. Um, he's a wrestle boxer, and there's probably a vision dynamic there as well. The guy just from that side, it's just... It's like a Christmas tree. You look at Leon Edwards just... I know it ends in a no contest, but you look at that performance and how he dissects him. Um, I think it's a very defensible choice uh, on this list, even at number one. Uh, it's interesting, though, because his career is not over, and we're only seeing the best of him now, right? So so that could, this, could, this could age better, even, you know? Bro, hopefully. And he's fighting a fellow Southpaw, his next fight, a one that I'm guessing neither of us like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm guessing that too. And uh, that one, that fighter also, despite being known for his pressure, has been quietly fighting on the outside. So, again, back to being prepared for a weird fight, possibly or weird dynamics. You know. Yeah, for sure. We'll see there. Of course, that's uh, Colby Covington. We can burn that name because, believe it or not, folks, Colby Covington is not my number one southpaw. You guys want to know? You, you ready, Fenyo? I'm ready. This, I'm ready. This I want to know. This, this one, I'm going back into the hipster lane here. We're out of the Buffalo Wild Wings era. And you know what? This isn't even too hipster or too crazy. Um, because I've tweeted this out to this man himself, and I've tagged him. That Thug Jitsu Master, Eve Edwards, the guy who uh, helped Dustin Poirier, who's on both of our lists, he is my favorite Southpaw of all time. Hey, that's, and that's a great pick. Yeah. He, arguably deserved to have a title more than even Dustin Poirier did. You know, there was a vague... They both were uh, competing at their primes in the UFC's lightweight division when it was going through vacant title structures. Of course, I'm talking about, you know, the Josh Thompson highlight. We talked about the Joaquin Buckley highlight. These these highlights that, like, will never... Um, you know, there's some highlights that don't make the cut over the years. You kind of... Not everything is evergreen, right? You know, that Baba O'Reilly pa highlight package, right? Um, the Eve Edward things, and Dana said this before, the Eve Edward Josh Thompson will never leave that. that, that. And that's another, again, another southpaw creating these highlight folks. And that was actually a right kick from Orthodox off of a clinch break, a very kind of like Muay Thai thing, or that you'll see like guys like Cowboy Cerrone and stuff like try to do off of like clinch separations, right? The head kick off the clinch separation. So it wasn't even like a southpaw move. But that fight is really important because uh, Josh Thompson, a.k.a. dark-haired uh, with a tongue piercing, I believe, at that time, looking Jamie Lannister, Jamie Lannister looking ass Josh Thompson over there. Uh, that was for the uncrowned lightweight title. You know, Jens Pulver and BJ Penn had their kind of thing. They both also had their disagreements, right? Jens Pulver was the champion, beat BJ, um, had his disagreement left. You have them try to do the Cal Uno uh, tournament because uh, uh, it, it, and Cal Uno was actually one of the guys because if you were a, a good grappler, especially with the criteria of that day, you go back and rewatch some of these where Eve Edwards or these guys were out wrestled in the early days. If you go by today's criteria, you're like, oh, these guys actually won the fight. Um, but anyways, Eve Edwards, right? He loses to Uno and stuff, so he's not a part of that four 
four-way tournament. He technically loses to Sarah, which is interesting because, like, you know, you go back and watch that fight. That's another fight where you could argue that maybe Sarah lost under today's criteria, right? Yeah. Because Eve Edwards actually, like, knocks him down in the beginning of round two with what? The same lead uppercut that Connor would use to set up his two made popular. Eve Edwards was, like, legitimately knocking dudes down with that, like, decades before Connor even got there, by the way, folks. Like, a decade before he even got there. Knocking dudes down with that shit. Um, knocks down Matt Serra, future welterweight champion, by the way. Um, and, like, you look at, like, that fight, like, you look at the things that he's doing, like, the wrist controls. Like, even when Matt Serra goes for a leg lock, like, how advanced this guy is. I know this has nothing to do with being a southpaw, but, like, you see him fighting the wrist uh, of the leg lock, right, on a deep leg lock attempt. And then after he drops him with the uppercut, Matt Serra, like, bounces back and tries to, like, do a quick shoot, you know, and... Eves defends, and as, you know, he's defending, Matt knows he's defending, he's going to a plan B, so he's floating back into a leg lock guard pull again, right, knowing he's not going to get the takedown, let's see what we can convert this to, and you see Eves, he never lets go of the wrist, wrist control, the unsung hero, um, you even, I even went back to watch, I know his 2001, uh, fight, his rematch with Aaron Riley and Hook and Shoot is one of the legendary MMA matches of all time, but I actually went back to watch their first fight which in Hook and Shoot, which takes place all the way back in 1999, folks. Eve Edwards, um, back in 1999, and when he came into the UFC till 2001 to 2004, the, uh, the years I was citing, this guy was known for his clinch. This is before Anderson Silva. And if you actually want to go, uh, he fought in the UFC before Anderson Silva. And Eve Edwards, I didn't even realize this to looking up today, he actually ha had won and lost MMA fights before Anderson Silva even makes his first professional debut in 97. I'm in seventh grade, bro. 97. And he's already fighting before Anderson Silva. By 1999, back to that initial Aaron Riley hook-and-shoot performance, I know this isn't Southpaw stuff, but he is doing the double-collar tie, the AKA Mike Goldberg tie plum. Trigger warning to Ryan Wagner if you're listening. Um, he's doing that before Anderson is. Not only is he doing that, he's going from, like, single-collar ties to, like, inside bicep frames. It's almost like you're watching DJ stuff again, you know? Like, he is actually framing and adjusting his knees. He's going knees to the head, left to the body, to the right of the body, and he's changing up his frames and his targets depending on how his opponent is making him play and adjust his defenses. Like, this is DJ-level shit in 1999, okay? Like... Like, 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 I mean, like, what, what's going on in 99, folks? Like, I, what's, what's the internet even look like back then? You know what I'm saying? Like, 1999, I wasn't even, this was August 99. I wasn't even in high school yet. I didn't even get to freaking high school yet. And this guy is out here in literally, you know, there's no, it's a 120-minute round. There's no gloves or anything, you know. And he's doing high-level techniques that guys still are failing to do today. And, you know, you, you fast-forward in the UFC, you know, he does a, Nick Aguilar, his finish before the Josh Thompson fight or the Hermes Franco fight, I believe even. Um, this guy fights Nick Aguilar. He is, like, breaking him down with leg kicks. He'll break guys down with leg kicks. He'll go to a high kick, and it looks like he's doing another finish like that, setting up Nick Aguilar. And then all of a sudden, he fakes low and then goes with a jab. And then in the next exchange, he fakes the jab, and then he does a Superman punch with a south from Southpaw. I don't, I've never seen any Southpaw do a Superman punch, and he knocks the guy down and gets the TKO off of that. Who's done that? Who's done a Superman Southpaw knockout in the UFC? Eve Edwards did. He never gets the credit for it. He never gets credit for any of this stuff. Even when, like, one of the best lightweight winning streaks ever, Tony Ferguson's winning streak, right? That early winning streak starts, um, one of those first early wins amongst those is Eve Edwards. 
And Eve Edwards is a bit old, and Tony Ferguson's powerful, and his athleticism and his power is able to kind of win him out. And Tony Ferguson's able to kind of rock him and kind of steal rounds that he is actually losing. And even Tony Ferguson is psycho and confident psycho as he was back then, right? Because he was undefeated or whatever, at least in the UFC. Even he, you go watch the post-fight victory after he already won. He doesn't have to sweat the decision anymore. He is like, that mother... He's almost, he's like bewildered. He's like, he, he knows he was just in there with a fucking master. Um, Eve Edwards, motherfuckers, go do your history. Like, holy shit, go do your history. This motherfucker has been doing the damn thing. Before people on our list, greats like Anderson Silva were doing it, or helping coach people on our list, like Dustin Poirier, knocking guys out with Superman punches and shouting, Saul Solis, Adrian Janez, uh, his coach who recently passed away, folks. That guy, when he gets referred to as an old school guy, that's why. Because that all ties back to the Eve Edwards Houston Houston crew, or uh, Texas crew, man. Uh, Woodlands, Texas crew. Eve Edwards, motherfuckers, learn it. My number one southpaw. No, that's, Sorry, passion, that's passion a great pick. But uh, but yeah, Eve Edwards is someone that I think people should go go back and watch, folks. You got You got to got to watch Eve. I'm, I think I'm gonna go do a highlight of him now. If uh, you were you were uh, shouts to my guy Miguel, don't beat me to it. I think he deserves a he deserves a highlight. <laughs> I think I'm gonna go back and just like crop a bunch of cool shit he does. He does so much cool stuff. It's like like uh, people back then didn't know, but they were watching into the future of the sport when they were watching Eve Edwards. And I don't know much yeah. about uh, Eve's uh, training situation back then, but it's like how complete of a fighter and how well the the tactics and the technique selection has hold up. When we're watching right now. Uh, for example, I haven't watched that the, that first Aaron Riley fight. Uh, I'll make sure to watch it. But man, it's the I watch most of the all the UFC fights, and even when he's losing, it's like I don't know. I feel like Ivelar is one of the the biggest unsung heroes in the in the history of MMA. Um, and even if he wasn't as consistent to get like wins every time, because this guy was fighting literally everyone. Yeah. He, he went to Shuto Walter to fight Wayne. Kawajiri in between UFC fights. He was going to Shuto to Japan to fight Kawajiri and shit. Yeah. Bad stylistic <laughs> matchups. Same. Eddie he Alvarez. He was fighting like he was fighting all kind of matchups, and this is the time, uh, especially we're talking about early 2000s, where grapplers were dominating the shit out of the sport. That he was yes. back here beating guys like Emerson Franca, Josh Thompson, guys with very strong grappling. Uh, I mean, Ives have obviously good grappling of his own, but, but he was mostly winning those fights in the feet, uh, using good wrestling chops to get back up. The he had the he had the Muay Thai, the, I mean the clinch. Uh, good boxer, good kicker. I don't know. It's like it's like with guys, for example, with him and and also like Masvidal. It's like, do you wonder how did how did they learn so much? Is so uh, so many years ago. You watch other fights from that time, and it looks it looks nothing like he did. Yeah, and that yeah that that run that he had at the at lightweight after fire after losing to Kawajiri. Yeah. Uh, that I feel like he was the best lightweight in the world at that moment. He he was man. For like sure. I I, I would have loved to have seen him against BJ Penn back then. You know because. That, that fight, you know, the UFC decided against it. They even say on the broadcast, like, there should have been for a title. 
but uh, you understand why we decided against it? And he's like, you know, I understand that. And, like, they, it was acknowledged on the broadcast. And I didn't even mention, you know, you said right hook. Like, check right hook is my favorite southpaw weapon, probably. Yeah. It's the thing that I say a southpaw should never leave home without. It's not the left kick. It's not the left punch. It's the check right hook. And that check right hook against Jeremy Stevens, that's my number one hook KO. I don't know if that's I going anywhere. I was about anywhere. to say, like, I don't know if that's going anywhere. Losing, after losing to Tony Ferguson, having more than 60 fights, this guy knocks the fuck out of Jeremy Stevens. Like, <laughs> yeah, prime Jeremy Stevens at like 55 without even de- being dehydrated. And and also a, a fight that he did not win. And, and I haven't watched on a, on a while, so I, uh, maybe it's time to watch it again. But the fight that put an end to Eve's uh, best winning streak, oh. uh, that bright fight against uh, Joachim Hansen. Yeah, you I would watch that watch. again if, too. Yeah, you, so good. If you haven't watched that fight, you gotta watch that one because it's it's 2005, and you won't believe your eyes when you watch that one because it's so. The, both guys can do everything, and yep. they and look Hansen, like Hellboy, yeah. another another guy underrated for his time. And like, if you were to be like, oh, he's just a striker, like you would have been dead wrong saying Hellboy Hansen is like, man, that's Insane a great shot. Oh. Yeah. Oh, great action fighters, just. Great action, great action. Um, great shouts there. Okay, I'm gonna go listener list, and then we'll uh, do honorable mentions, and we'll get the we'll get the fuck out of here. All right. So we got uh, a. <laughs> we for a while here. I know. Yeah. Sorry, folks. I, I appreciate Fenyo. All right, my guy James Kendrick, longtime listener of the show here, at Salvatore Stan One. He says in no particular order: Anderson Silva, check. Leota Machida. We didn't talk about him. That's a great shout. I have him written here for honorables. Check. Dustin Poirier. We both have him on our list. Good one, James. Uh, he's got Stephen Thompson. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna mark it down for it. Again, uh, great stuff from Southpaw, and Robbie Lawler. He's with you on that one too. So uh, solid list there, James. Yeah, very um, good. Machida, very good. Shout out. Yeah, Machida. I mean, the the tra- tra- you think he would have been on my list, especially with the traditional martial arts, and uh, he is just the classic. Like a lot of traditional martial arts do it. Do it. Uh, when I say counterbalancing kicks with punches. That's when you kick, and when your kick is rechambering, you are punching at the same time as you yeah. have a rechamber. You've got opposing motions. It's a great principle to understand for striking, and it's also a great principle to understand for grappling. When you're floating on top, trying to break holds, understanding that you need two opposing pressures. It's just a great principle that translates through all martial arts. There, Rio Susan Truesdale at Rio Susan. He has Mirko Krokop, legendary southpaw double attack. I'm with you there. He's, he he pulled at my heartstrings. He's got Luke Rockhold. Say what you will about Luke Rockhold. Luke Rockhold at least did have the check right hook. He didn't have much else between the left kick and the check right hook, but he did have that. But um, he, he was a bit a bit of a minimalist on the feet, but he made so good use of he both, did. He really both did. tools. Yeah. Like you were out outside and he's going to blast you with the nastiest left kick you've seen. You try to close in, he has the check hook ready for you. It it was it was very effective for a while. It was insane, you know, like he uh, and, and and the fact that he was known as this wrestler, but he never really wrestled, attempted him, completed takedowns. Like all the submission wins were like people shooting in on him or creating weird freaking scrambles to to try to break that uh break past that 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 check hook kick dynamic. Yeah, it's it's very cool. I love I love Prime Luke Rockhold to be honest. Yeah, he was fun. He was fun. I like that Jacare uh, versus Luke Rockhold in Strike Force. Like that era was was fun too. Watching both those guys grow. Yeah. Um, he's got Wonder Boy on his list as well. All right. He's got Conor McGregor. All right. Solid choice. And there we go. Rio Sozin's got RDA. He says, 
gotta have them due to the scientific pressure fighting. Yep, gotta yeah, stop yeah, that yeah. I agree. Pressure fighting. Absolutely. Uh, let me see if there's any other listener lists. I apologize if I'm missing you guys. Um, uh, hopefully, unless you guys responded to like the people who quote tweeted like Fenyo or shout out to my guy Ben Cohn. Um, I, I don't have those in front of me, so apologies. Um, at the PYM podcast, if you ever want to submit your list, I know this one was gonna be a lot of crossover anyways um let's get out of here with some honorable mentions on who we haven't mentioned yet anyone that hasn't been mentioned yet uh fenyo i've uh, got a couple I names have, here i'll let you go uh i have machida and rock hold on my honorable mentions uh this one will piss off a lot of people but i want to give a honorable mention to valentina shevchenko yep yep a, a lot of it. a lot of stuff to learn there absolutely uh, check book uh the jab when uh, to spin? the kicks the the distance management, yeah. Uh, the kick defense, that, that mm-hmm. one of the of the things yeah. that she used to to shut down Joanna Jenchejic on, on her fight. Uh, it's cool stuff. Uh, and also, uh, against a fellow Salpa, who was way, way bigger than her, watch her fight against Holly Holm. Mm-hmm. Uh, very impressive. One of the best wins in women's MMA history, I would say. Uh, very impressive. Uh, because the size difference and Holly Holm is very athletic. He's she's huge, and Valentina beat her doing the things that Holm likes to do. So, uh, I give a lot of extra points to that performance. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I just want I'll jump in. Let me jump in on that one real quick because I, I have Valentina. She's the only female written down. She'll be on my list as well. Holm will not. And if people give me crap, it's gonna be I'm gonna pull out the old head to head. And not just that, Fenyo. I'm really proud of that one. You know, there's certain things you're proud of calling. That's one of the few breakdowns you can go back and read and you can be like, hey, did that motherfucker write this after the fight? Because I said, <laughs> the check right hook. That's what's missing in Holmes' game and she's going to get taxed like fuck going for it. Right hands have not been kind to her from either stance in either sport. And uh, that one really felt good. So to hear you sign off and say that's a really high level win, that, that makes me feel better. Sorry, go <laughs> on and continue. Uh, gotta give a shout out to current lightweight champion Mahachev. Uh, not because yeah. being like the best striker in the world, but because being uh, a very disciplined uh, southpaw striker as mm-hmm. a grappler, it's uh, a rarity in today's MMA. Uh, performance against uh, Volkanovski, a lot of points for him for that one because he was striking Volkanovski for most of the fight. Yeah. Even though Volkanovski kind of bad against southpaws, and that's very interesting, I guess, yeah. Jair Rodriguez moving forward. But but also for Makachev, uh a lot of takedown entries that are based in the open stance matchup. Uh, he has this like snatching single uh, that he does. Uh, uh, he likes to catch the rear leg when guys are kicking as well. So mm-hmm. those are cool like southpaw tactics to get takedowns. So I wanted I wanted to give a shout out to that. Yeah, and when he shoots takedowns though, that's one thing I noticed, and it didn't matter in their fight against Charles, but maybe it will in the second time. It's because, like, RDA, when you're... I made me think of it with RDA, because RDA does the same thing, where we're so used to abusing the weak side, which is our right, uh, southpaw, and it's an orthodox uh, southpaw opponent's left, to where, you know, we take that angle, back to Conor Reba saying the southpaw killer, why punches are so devastating. Um, As far as grappling goes, it's probably another reason why, when they shoot, you notice the head will always be to to the left side, to their right, their opponent's left. And that's what worried me when he faced... Charles Oliveira, because if you go look at Charles Oliveira, all his front choke finishes are all with his left, even though he's a right-handed mm-hmm. stance fighter. Yeah. He chokes with yeah, his left every time. Like, not 9 out of 10, 11 out of 10 times he chokes with his left. 
and that's whether Islam's in the clinch, sagging his head or shooting. He has that hardcore southpaw. I gotta go. I gotta keep my head over here. My head is safe over here. And it didn't pay for him. He he beat him, and he, he's favored rightfully so to beat Charles again, if they fight again. But I, I always found that dynamic interesting on head position. And also as a as a very dangerous clinch fighter, uh, very good at catching uh, collar ties with the right hook. And yes. that's always very a good. good thing to have as a grappler. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, back to Jim Miller catching those collar ties, right? Uh, southpaw striking there. Um, yeah. I wrote down uh, Jamal Hill. He's still obviously going to be champion. Uh, I, I, I came off higher off of Jamal Hill after the Glover fight, but it wasn't so much of the striking. It was more off of like watching his wrist control and his grounded pound. That actually impressed me the most in that <laughs> Glover fight. Um, I still feel like he's asking for the southpaw killer thing because like that was the reason why... Even though obviously OSP shot and that was a really bad pick in hindsight, but at that time I did take a, a dog flyer to pick OSP because OSP will just randomly knock people out with a left hook, and Jamal Hill kind of has that drag down a little bit, but he's he's still developing his style, so I'm curious to see where he goes. Got to shout out Tim Means, right? Tim Means. He'll he'll one of those guys that despite being a southpaw sells out on the right hook like hell. Like, he does. Yeah. That's his punch. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah. Uh, Tim Means, gotta gotta give him a shout. Just real technical oh, southpaw. Oh, dude, so good. Yeah. Love Tim Means watching him fight. It's like it's just like it's like it's not sex, but it's pretty close for someone like me. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty bad. I don't know. It says a lot about me, I guess. But I'm just trying to say Tim Means is a badass. Is the point? Uh, we talked a little bit about Vitor. You know, he's got to get a mention just because he's Vitor. Yeah. <laughs> um, my first favorite southpaw in UFC, believe it or not, Kenny Florian. I was a Ken Flo Again, I was a tough noob, man. Oh, Ken I like, with the elbows. Uh, oh, I like the nerdy guy that wasn't uh, an athlete. That uh, was a southpaw. Of course, Dan Tom, like Kenny Florian, as a tough noob coming into the sport. So I got I to gotta shout out Kenny Florian. Um, Jens Pulver. I know I, I mentioned, you know, uh, lightweight pioneers. Obviously, you got to mention him. I know I was putting Eves over, but obviously Jens Pulver is uh, one of the lightweight godfathers, southpaw godfathers, you know. Um, Rick Story, he wasn't a great striker, but like oh, I love I love Rick Story, yeah. The fact that he, the fact that like you don't see body punches stats because body punching is just overlooked criminally, and everybody's tired of hearing me and people like you talk about <laughs> it. But to that point, right, Fenyo? Like this was back in 2013. You can go all the way back a decade ago, and Rick Story went to the body so damn much as a southpaw that he literally forced the broadcast to put body strike graphics to where they even say it. They're like, we only really bring these up for Rick Story fights, folks. Like, they, because even especially back then, like, no one's no one's really, you know, a high-level striker like that as much as we get them trickling in more, a little, uh, much Good. more, I should say. Good southpaw leg kicker, by the way, Rick Story yeah. as well. And Absolutely. he's a wrestler. Well, he, came, he trained with MMA Lab for a minute, and MMA Lab, back to your, you know, leg kicks and southpaws, right? That's Benson Henderson. You got Brian Barberina. You've got... Um, Shit, you got Jared Cannonier now. Alex Caceres was there, right? Rick Story was there. Like you look at all these generations and different weight classes. MMA Labs, a a camp that um you know with these kicking these you know uh, kicking nuances you're talking about to just southpaws in general. I don't know what it is. John Crouch is a jujitsu guy. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know what it, Emer, I know Emerson helps him strike there, but Emerson we talked about him getting light up by southpaws when he fought. I don't know what MMA the explanation Labs, is. Like, the Southpaw camp, right? Yeah, like, they, they, they're one of them. They're one Canyon of them. Here, Barbarina. Yeah. Yeah. Benson, the story. 
ton of ton of southpaws from from that um, from that camp. It feels like um, Dominic Reyes. You know, he beat John Jones, right? Yeah, yeah. That they gotta count for something. It's gotta count for something. You beat John <laughs> he, Jones. <laughs> uh, uh, another shout, uh, Benson. Uh, ready to talk about Benson? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yep. K- Hendrix. Yeah, yeah, Johnny Hendrix. Johnny Hendrix, good shout. Uh, Nick um, Nick Diaz, Nick Diaz. We didn't talk about Nick. Yeah, the Diaz brothers, both, both, and di- very different. Uh, I, I'm yes, guessing they are. people are starting to learn that they are different. Yeah, I didn't know. All, all, all I know is, uh, you know, from uh, I definitely didn't, um, you know, have the right hook, uh, levering hooks to the uh, uh, body and head. That definitely didn't come from Nate. That came from uh, Nick for me, you know. And you got someone corralled against the cage, and you're levering yeah. right hooks to the body and head. That was Nick's move. Um, I think Nate, I I always say the same. And Nate was better when he was Nate than he when he was trying to cosplay as Nick. To be yes. honest, yeah. Like Nate was Nate a lot cleaner in the open space. Very decent footwork when he's in neutral space. Uh, good with the right with the with the check hook. Uh, super long straight left. Uh, while Nick was a lot better roughing you up against the cage. Yes. Uh, yeah. and Nate. Nate tried to emulate that a lot, but I feel like Nate was always better in open space. Look at when he started to punk McGregor in the first fight, all open space. It was not the pressure. It was just catching him with these sneaky yeah. shots that McGregor couldn't see coming. Yeah, timing timing change-ups, right? Yeah, he had really good timing change-ups off his left, connecting it to his right. Um, you that's know, how, he, that, that's uh-huh. how he got Leon as well. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. My, my number one self. <laughs> Whereas I would say Nick's probably better lead hand in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is from you know going forward, like we said. But even you know he had counter stuff. You know how he knocked out Robbie Lawler back at UFC 47 in their first fight, right? Um, the check, 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 checking right hands again. Checking right hands are just it's annoying, especially checking jabs. You know, uh, I don't know if it was you talking about that with Sergio this last weekend, but a checking jab is just such a pain in the ass when you think the when you want to come forward or think someone's done done is done throwing, and they hit you with a checking jab. Oh yeah, so it annoying. was Connor. It was Connor that was talking about ending combinations with jab uh, about Sergio. But okay, yeah, that's I'm talking about. Timeline. That's right. I was I was, I've talked about that in the past before. Uh, ending combinations with jab very underrated, especially as most MMA guys try to exit in a straight line. You just always like mm-hmm. tag them with the jab when they're going back. They don't expect it, and then especially again the southpaw jab. It's just that extra annoying angle of what the fuck was that? Yeah, you know, I mean, just like <laughs> just checking jabs. I mean, I, I've I've been able to. I can't tell you how many sparring sessions I've survived off of it by checking jab because I'll tell you, there's <laughs> not a lot of other stuff I could offer. You know. <laughs> oh, this was awesome, Venio. Uh, I think this is going to be under two hours by the time I cut it together. I don't know when I'll get it to you guys. But this is a really good conversation. I think we covered actually a ton, man. We covered a ton of dynamics, tactics, different yeah. eras, history. That was very good talk, yeah. Weight classes, eras. <laughs> we covered a lot. What I don't think we missed anything, huh? No, I mean, if, if you wanted to to hear us talk about South Policy, you should be happy by yes. now. Yes, hopefully everybody at least, this hopefully satiated the, the, the nerds and small uh little slice of pie that I, I seem to placate my, my small audience to and I'm very appreciative and regardless of what audience you're a part of how small it is hopefully if you listen to this 
you uh, came away knowing more about Southpaws and knowing more about that dynamic and understanding what it is that makes them fucking cool because they're cool, man. It's different. It's cool. Even even with uh, even though more people are switching stance these days, dude, nothing beats a nothing beats a, a Southpaw who knows how to fight Southpaw to me, man. I don't know why. I'm, I know I'm biased. I know I'm biased. But it's <laughs> but it's but it's fucking cool. That's why I track it. It's fucking cool. Southpaws. All right. Anything else, Fenya, before we get out of here? No, not really. Um, I'm working on an article uh, about uh, Sergio's performance against Pitbull, but that will probably be ready next week. I doubt that we'll have it this week, so look forward to that. Remember to support me and the rest of the guys of the fight site if you can, guys. Uh, we're trying to put a lot of content about combat analysis. Uh, and thank you so much for having me. I had a lot of fun talking about this. Uh, I love talking about fighting. This was awesome, man. I don't like having guests on a lot or doing it, but when it's like a good topic and a good guest, we have both of those. I'm so excited. It's, it's been an honor to have you on. You know, I'm a big fan of your work. I shout you all the time. People should follow you. Look on the screen at Fenyo, F-E-N-O-X Sky, and you can find him at Fight Site dot spell it out dot com to find them on twitter and of course that's uh what, what's the actual website i don't want to brutal it now i, I got your guys twitter handle correct what's the actual website if they want to t- type it in is dfight uh dash site.com and you can find them on patreon if you want to support and i highly suggest uh doing so that seems to be the best way uh to, to support like the good medias out there and stuff you know or the niche medias or the things that you want to have more of vote with your proverbial dollars folks that's the only voting i'll tell you to do just to support what you like i don't think that's a crazy message right um it, it's it's uh these guys are, are good dudes uh I, I i support them and love having them on for a reason fanyo you were fantastic um i hope more people follow your work and your colleagues work because you and the rest deserve it uh, you also guys also have a good podcast network. If people want to subscribe to that, anybody listening to this on podcast now, I'm sure if you type in uh, the fight site, you can find and subscribe to their feed as well. So again, multiple mediums for your listening pleasure. Hope this was okay for you guys. You find me at Dan Tom MMA again. You guys find Fenyo at Fenyo X Sky on Twitter uh, at the PY on Podcast on all social platforms. We are supported by MixedMartialAnalyst.com for this free here show. Um, and appreciate your guys' patience. I tried to timestamp these, but uh, I'm in a pocket where I owe you guys a show. And it's been a bit crazy, but uh, we're, we're, we'll be steadily but surely improving. We're not going anywhere. No worries. Just a bit of a, uh, an adjusting uh, period. So thank you guys for joining. Hopefully you enjoyed the Southpaw content. And always protect your neck.